Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Are you done? I think so. All right. The Grave Plot Podcast. Back up in that ass. Whoa. This just got real. (laughs) I'm Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. Um, Welcome back to episode 30. Well, welcome to episode 34. Not welcome back. Right, we, we didn't just start. Like, we didn't have like a commercial break, or anything. right? You didn't miss anything. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, so how's it going? Pretty good. Yeah, we are recording this on National Tabletop Day. Yes, we are. So we are just preparing for beers and board games night tonight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going to have some people's over and do some drinking and some some game playing. Yeah. Um, second year you've done it. Yeah. It's a nice tradition. I'm liking it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's all right. Who asked you? <laughs> um, so, this should be... Um, this is going to be a long episode. Yeah. Long, uh, longish. I mean, because we got, you know, typical amount of horror business, and then we've got not two, but three reviews to go through. Well, uh, two and a half. Yeah. Uh, we're reviewing a uh, a short film that was uh, sent to us. And yeah, so two and a half reviews, and then we have an interview as well. Mm-hmm. So we're probably looking at a lengthy episode here. Anyway, um, so anything you want to talk about? Um, What's no, on your I'm, mind, Taylor? I, I think we better just put just jump into some horror business. All right, let's do horror business. <laughs> never just talk anymore. <laughs> I mean, I said all I needed to say. I mentioned the thing about board game night, and then, you know, that's, that's it. Let's just get on with business. I feel like you don't want to be around me anymore. <laughs> Do you still think I'm attractive? <laughs> I just want to get through this and send you home so we can just <laughs> go about our lives. <laughs> all right, start with um, <laughs> starting uh, yet again on a somber note. Um, three... Great horror actors have uh, left this world in the past two weeks. Two weeks yeah, <laughs> it, it was almost shocking, like how quickly it happened. Yeah, and, like I mean, but the, um, you know they say it comes in threes, and this is a perfect example here. Yeah, um, start with um, Maniac Cop uh, star Robert Zadar <coughs> passed away. Um, he was. Um, he obviously starred as Matt Cordell, the maniac cop, or the titular maniac cop, right? In all three movies, um, he was in Pensacola, Florida, for a convention and started having some some chest pains and some nausea and just not feeling well. And um, he went to the hospital and suffered a cardiac arrest and passed away. Um, he was uh, sixty four years old, which too young. Yeah, it's tragic. Um, you would probably know this guy by his like. If you've never, if you don't know him by name, you would know him by his giant fucking jaw. Yeah, that was. I remember the first time I saw him was actually in um, Tango and Cash, the Sylvester Stallone mm-hmm. Kurt Russell movie. Um, 
And I thought he was like had like a birth defect or something. Yeah. Or like some kind of disease that just made his face look like yeah, that. Yeah, he looks like he has maybe like some kind of gigantism or something. Yeah. But no, it's just just his jaw. Yeah. Wacky looking jaw. Anyway. His um, head is like square. Yeah. Like it really is. Yeah. He he looks like a, like a comic book character or Almost, something. Almost, yeah. Um Anyway, so uh, his uh, agent, Jim Decker, said, We talked every day. We've been together through thick and thin. He was the first actor I took on in my career as an agent. We spent many weekends on the road together and a lot of time enjoying each other's company. I miss him dearly. Uh, He's survived by his brother and nephew. And uh, any condolences or well wishes that want to be sent to... um, his agent or you know his fa- his family uh, can be sent to the email esotericking at gmail dot com. Uh, also, Thomas Towels died on April fifth. Uh, he was only sixty five. Um, as of now, the cause of death is still unknown. You would best know Thomas Towels most likely from House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also in Rob Zombie's Halloween, uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. And the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead. Which is the first thing I'd ever seen him in. But later down the line, when I saw House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, I didn't recognize him. He looked completely different. Yeah. We, we talked about it earlier, and we said that it was because he didn't have his trademark mustache. Right. Yeah, it's like I'm just, I was so used to seeing him with some kind of facial hair to go back and look at... Right, it was Night like the first time Alex Trebek... Uh, shaved off his mustache. Yeah. And just like that's who? Who's who is this? Who's this? Who's who's all in Jeopardy now? <laughs> um, anyway. um, yeah. Rob Zombie first announced the news on Facebook, saying, "I just got word that our buddy Tom Tallis has died. He was such a great guy, and I am so grateful that we got to work together several times. He will really be missed." It seems like a. You think like his representation, or maybe his family would announce his death, not. The director of a few movies he you was would in. think. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, on top of that, and this is probably out of the three, I think this is the one I'm most bummed about. Is Jeffrey Lewis uh, was died at the age of 79. Um, he played uh, Roy Sullivan in The Devil's Rejects. So um, we've got two Rob Zombie movie stars yeah. here. Um. But he's also in The Lawnmower Man. He was in The X-Files, uh, the Trilogy of Terror 2, um, Salem's Lot. Um, I mean, you you know, if you don't know him by me mentioning these roles, then if, if you just look up a picture, I'm certain you'll recognize him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just one of those guys that you just, you know, he was in that movie you saw, you know? Right, yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah, he... Uh, was also really well known for being in westerns with uh, Clint Eastwood. Um, he's survived by his wife Paula Hawkalter and nine children, including Juliette Lewis. Did not know that. Me neither. That was a surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, three great actors gone now. It's a sad time. Yeah. To, to you know be a horror fan. But uh, we wish all their families the best. Uh, we send our condolences and uh, hope they can stay strong through all this.
Dr. Miller, the creator of the Friday the 13th franchise, is working on a new movie with the unfortunate title Rock Paper Dead. What? Who the fuck thought that was a good name? <laughs> um, I'm assuming Victor Miller. but um, <laughs> So bad. Yeah, I'm hoping maybe that gets changed before the movie gets released. It's a working title. Yeah. Uh, it's going to star Ari Lehman and Kane Hodder, both of whom played Jason. Yes, they did. Ari Lehman was the first Jason, and Kane Hodder was the best Jason. Right. Uh, we'll also star Michael Berryman, who was in The Hills Have Eyes. Um, John Dugan, D. Wallace, and Bruce Davison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It will be directed by Jeffrey Allard, who do you know? Are you familiar with his work? Jeffrey Allard? Yeah, or Allard. No. I don't right. think so. Not by name, anyway. Uh, but I'm sure you are familiar with Harry Manfredini. Sure am. Who will be doing the score for this movie. If you are not familiar with him, then watch a Friday the 13th movie. Yeah, pick one. Yeah. <laughs> well, except for... No, I guess seven? Five. Ah, I don't know. There was one that he... Actually, I think there were a few he didn't do. All right, we'll watch the first one. Yeah. Um, Rock, Paper, Dead is the story of a serial killer named Peter the Dollmaker Harris, who returns to his ancestral family estate after being released from the state's hospital for the criminally insane after 20 years, a cured man. Once inside that old house, anguished memories from, from a tortured childhood and the visitations from past victims shake Peter's resolve. But it isn't until lovely young Ashley enters his life that Peter makes a fateful decision, one that will end in murder most foul. Murder. 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 <laughs> um, what do you think about this? Good idea, bad idea. It sounds kind of dumb. It, it sounds kind of generic, just from yeah. what, from what we have. I'm hoping there'll be more info that will give us a little more. But uh, yeah. Um, this is this is dumb. I mean, it, just, it doesn't <laughs> sound like a good movie at all. Um, I don't know. I feel like even twenty years, and like you're not usually in the habit of letting people out of. Yeah, I don't know. Dumb name, dumb premise. Yeah, like, like I say, I mean, even even if you're in a hospital for criminally insane, I don't think they'd let you out like ever. Because if you're a serial killer, you're still dangerous. This is true. <laughs> they don't usually ever make announce those people as cured. Yeah, it's like you go to a uh, like a nut house. That's like the other option beside like besides life in prison or the death, the death penalty. penalty. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, anyways, uh, maybe maybe it'll be good. Who knows? We'll keep an eye on it and we'll let you know if we hear more and if it's worth talking about. Right. So, looks like Fox, the, the channel. Uh, no, it, 20th Century Fox. Oh, my mistake. I thought <clears throat> this was a TV show. No, this is a, this is a movie. Okay. Well, uh, Fox Films um, has picked up uh, the rights to The Leviathan, um, which is based on POC by Rari, Rari 
That would be proof of concept PLC. Uh, why don't you type that out, man? You and your fucking acronyms. I think I copied and pasted it. <laughs> um, okay, it's based on proof of concept by Rory Robinson. Yeah, I don't know what that name is. Ruary? Ruary. 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 Who is responsible for the last days on Mars. And Jim Yule? Or Ool. Or Ool. Uh, who fight? What did he do in Fight Club? I think he wrote the screenplay. Ah, okay. Well, those guys. <laughs> um, Robinson will direct, and Yule or Yule will be writing the script. Um, in the film, mankind has colonized many worlds in a time when tra- travel faster than the speed of light has been made possible by the harvesting of exotic matter from the eggs of the largest species mankind has ever seen. The catch? Tell me, tell me. (laughs) Those who take part in the hunt for the matter are mostly involuntary labor. Have you watched this proof of concept? No. It's weird. Is it? Yeah, like this this Leviathan thing is just, it's enormous. It's absolutely gigantor. And it, it kind of looks like if you took Falcor... And gave him a fish head. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I I don't know about this one. I mean, it's it's an interesting take, but it kind of reminds me of like it sounds like a Futurama episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the proof of concept is pretty cool. Is it? It's weird, but it's cool. Hmm. And I mean, it's you know a new monster which. We could always use. Sure. It doesn't really sound like it's much of a horror movie, though. Just more sci-fi. More sci-fi, yeah. But I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of people are excited yeah. about it, so. All right. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Is there anything else to say about this? That's pretty much it. All right. James Gunn, who is the man behind Dawn of the Dead, as well as the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians, 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 uh, is teaming up with Greg McLean, the man behind Wolf Creek. So that's an interesting combination. Yeah, they are working on a movie called The Belco Experiment about um, an American or the American Belco Company in South America, which is mysteriously sealed off at the beginning of a workday, and its employees are ordered to kill each other or be killed themselves. This starts an escalation of violence where we discover the true nature of each and every Belco employee. What is this, like some team-building exercise? <laughs> I guess. Or just like somebody bought this Belco Company, and it was just like, eh, instead of shutting it down, I'm just going to make it a death battle <laughs> well I mean that sounds reasonable I mean I might do the same thing sure I mean it's easier than firing people then you don't have to give them a severance pay yeah and you can like take bets and stuff and you know they should call this movie severance that'd be better there's already a movie called severance though oh well forget it, what I said then yeah shut up stupid
Mind your business. <laughs> you asshole. Um, this well, is supposed to start in June in Colombia. Ooh. So they're filming on location. Um, I am a fan of James Gunn. Uh, I don't like Wolf Creek. You know, I... I don't get the hype about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it wasn't bad. No. It's just, I didn't, didn't it do It just didn't seem me. like anything special to me. No. And yeah, people fucking love it. They're, yeah. like, over the moon about and it. And I, like, I heard all these people raving about Wolf Creek 2 and how it's, like, revived the, the franchise and it's gonna... And I, I just recently watched it, like, maybe a week ago, and I'm just like, I just don't see what makes this so great. How can it revive a franchise? When it's only the second one? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it that makes it a franchise. Yeah. <laughs> um... I, don't know, I, I actually thought the first one was better than the second one, but even that one, it was just... I mean, it was fine. I didn't hate it. It just what didn't... It wasn't amazing. I actually haven't seen the second one. Um, I saw the first one because I heard good things about it. Watched it, and it did really <laughs> nothing for me. Yeah. Um, and I just never watched the second one because I had no interest in it. I mean, it, like I wasn't like actively avoiding it. Just, mm. I watched it because it was on Netflix, so... Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, James Gunn, he's kind of the top of his game right now, so... Yeah, he's uh, he's in demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so this should be interesting. Do we know, are they just... Are they, like, co-directing, or...? Um, I know Gunn wrote it. Oh, okay. I don't know if he's still directing, or if, like, that's the plan, is Gunn wrote it and McLean is directing it, or what. Mm. Okay. Well, um, assuming we hear more news on that, we'll keep you informed. Now this is a fucking bummer. Yeah, this sucks. Um... So we've been talking probably at least once over the last few episodes, I think, um, about Twin Peaks coming back um, and how things are kind of gearing up. We've you know got a lot of the original stars coming back and um, and everything seemed to be looking pretty good. And then um, we catch wind that David Lynch has left the project. Well, it started out with rumors that the project was done. It was dead. Oh, really? I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, David Lynch said, announced on Twitter and Facebook, uh, he said, Dear friends, Showtime did not pull the plug on Twin Peaks. After one year and four months of negotiations, I left because not enough money was offered to do the script the way I felt it needed to be done. This weekend, I started to call actors to let them know I would not be directing. Twin Peaks may still be very much alive at Showtime. I love the world of Twin Peaks and wish things could have worked out differently. So it sounds like he's not really saying they're not paying me enough. Right. Saying they're not putting a big enough budget into the exactly. into the show. Which is fair, but I think I mentioned to you this mentioned this to you before. Um that it's like, you know, watching Twin Peaks, granted it was you know, back in the nineties. So budgets were naturally smaller then, um, but I can't picture why Twin Peaks would need that big of a budget. 
Yeah, it does. I mean, there wasn't a lot of special effects. No, I mean the first season, I didn't think had much of any. Not that I can recall. It was really recall. more than the second season that moved into anything that would need any effects. Right. Yeah, I mean, because you know, the end of the first season, you're still not even sure really what's going on. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't know what they have planned for it. But if they're following suit with the first two seasons, yeah, like I said, I can't imagine they'd need all that big of a budget. But, right. But, I mean, Lynch insists that their budget is not being met. Um, and so that being the case, he felt it best that he just leave, I guess. Um, Showtime released a statement later. Uh, saying that we are saddened to read Dave Lynch, or David Lynch's statement today since we believe that we were working towards solutions with David and this reps on the few remaining deal points. Showtime also loves the world of Twin Peaks and we continue to hold out hope that we can bring it back to all its glory with both its extraordinary creators, uh, with both of its extraordinary creators, David Lynch and Mark Frost, at its helm. Um, yeah, I mean... Here's hoping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we haven't heard from Mark Frost, so we really don't know where he stands on this whole thing. Right. Um, Seems like he's always been more of the silent partner of the Oh, two. definitely, yeah. Um, later, like, I'd... Well, I wouldn't say it was, a, like, a full week, but a few days later, I know this, this video came out of all the Twin Peaks stars saying, you know, Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like blah 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 without blah blah blah. Right. Um, and seemed like most most of them, at least, were like comparisons to their characters. Yeah. Some somehow relevant to yeah. to Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um. So I mean, it looks like all the stars are not in the video though. Was Kyle MacLachlan? Right. Was, but I believe he's the only one under contract. Mm. I don't think anyone else has officially signed on yet. So he probably is under some kind of gag order from Showtime. Maybe. Really? I thought Cheryl Lee and Sherilyn Finn had I think they, on. Were, they had committed, but not officially signed on. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll see, I guess. Um, I mean, they're right. It's like Twin Peaks is not the same without David Lynch. Yeah. I mean, somebody. If somebody else were to be heading it up, it, it's going to change the tone completely. Well, I'm wondering what would happen if they went forward with just Mark Frost. I don't know. I mean, obviously, as viewers and you know fans of the show, we don't really. There's already been a huge public outrage of people saying, "I won't watch it if David Lynch isn't involved." Right. Um, but I mean, that, like what we're saying is, as fans. You know, people kind of on the outside, essentially. We don't really know how involved Mark Frost is. He's like I said, he he's like the I said he's like the silent partner, but that might just be his kind of public image. We don't know really how involved he is behind the scenes. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I don't like I told you earlier. To to me, this sounds like negotiating through the media. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that that sounds stupid and childish, but I think that's becoming more and more commonplace. Yeah. 
It's like, you know, if you can't get it done behind closed doors, then you just you open up the doors and you tell everyone this is where we're at. Yeah. And then you see who's on your side. Yeah. I mean, you know where you... S- and of course people are going to take David Lynch's side in this. Oh, yeah. No one's going to be like, well, I think that the major studio is probably right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know where you see something like this most commonly is like in sports. Uh, yeah. I mean, sports stars do this kind of shit all the time. Well, no, sports agents do this kind of shit all the time. Fair enough, yeah. Um, anyway. So, I, I'm still holding out hope that it gets done. I think maybe there's going to be some kind of compromise. Maybe Lynch takes money out of what he's getting to put into the budget. Or if there's, you know, I, I, I'm still holding out hope that there's going to be a compromise. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's hope so. I mean, it, it really won't be the same without David Lynch. And he needs to be involved and... I just don't think this will be the success that it could be without him. Um, I at least want to see him in it. Oh yeah, we got to have um, um, Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so we'll see how this goes. Um, really hope that things get worked out because I'd, I'd hate to see this go on without him. Yeah. But, Hashtag save Twin Peaks. Yeah. But uh, we'll keep posted on anything that does change. Ted Raimi is biting our style. Is he? Yeah. Ted Raimi is developing a new web series called Deathly Spirits. In the series, he tells a ghost story and then has a relevant cocktail. Prick. (laughs) So he's clearly stealing Drunken Cinema's idea. Right. That's totally ours. Right. We were the only ones to ever do that. (laughs) Uh, in the series, according to Raimi, there's plenty of shock horror out there. I didn't want to do another one of those. I wanted to marry my love of acting with my love of radio horror dramas. They affected me so much when I was young. When I was a boy in the 70s, the last of the old-time radio horror dramas was still on. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater, hosted by E.G. Marshall. Every week, Marshall would begin by announcing in his deep, creaky voice, Welcome. Yep, that's how that's written. (laughs) That would scare the hell out of me. That's how I start every show, with that. So he's ripping off E.G. Marshall's thing, too. Yeah, he's just just ripping off everybody. (laughs) This is going to be produced by Raimi's Spooky Voodoo Pictures and will be available at tedraimi.com. Well, all right, then. So I do love me some Ted Raimi. Guy's a crazy motherfucker. Yep. Um... So is so is this a, like a like a podcast or it's a web series. It's a video series. Okay, well he talked about radio dramas, so I thought maybe it was something audio rather oh, than Oh, I think that was just more just an inspiration. Oh. Okay. So what is it going to be just him like actually telling a story or um that I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this, that would be he, kind of boring. I know. <laughs> Just sit there and look at Ted Raimi while he talks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I would, th- I would think the ideal way to do this would be be like have a uh, a scene worked out 
with actors and stuff, but I don't know. That seems really expensive, and <laughs> I think if he had a budget for that, he might be doing something not or something other than a web series. Yeah. Um, yep, it's just looking at him while he talks. <laughs> You know, you keep doing that. It's making it very difficult for me to have to cut these things out. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, it appears it's just you just look at him while he tells a ghost story and then proceeds to tell you how to make a cocktail at the end. The first episode is currently up. It's called The Old House and the Old Fashioned. Okay. Well, if you want But wanna... it's got a cool sepia tone. Oh, good. <laughs> makes it feel, you know, vintage. Like a western? <laughs> I don't think that's what he was going for. <laughs> well, if this is uh, of interest to you, go you check really out. like Ted Raimi's face. <laughs> you like hearing his voice for, what, 20 minutes? Yeah, I'm not sure how long the episodes are. Uh, go, go to tedraimi.com and check him out. So, fans of Dario Argento might be excited about this, <laughs> but probably not. I don't know. They might. Maybe. Um, the uh, Dario Argento's film Suspiria is getting a TV show for some reason. <laughs> um, I just, I don't, I don't see Suspiria working as a TV show. Me neither. I don't, I don't. I don't know how you make it episodic. I don't know how you stretch it out farther than the length of the movie. I, I don't know. Even the movie seemed to drag it apart, so I don't know. Um, it's going to be titled Suspiria de Profundis, um, after the book that inspired the movie. Um, Argento is going to be acting as the artistic supervisor. So... Uh, I don't know if he's going to be involved in any way, in any form after or beyond that. Um, that seems like a small role for him. It seems like kind of a bullshit title. Yeah, I would have thought he'd at least be like executive producer or something. Something, yeah. Um, Suspiria de Profundis will be uh, an English language period horror series in which the author De Quincey is the lead character. Um, styled as a new Sherlock Holmes the story will explore psychological fantasies of evil and attempt to solve fearful mysteries it will be set in London and Rome at the turn of the 20th century so where are the witches I don't know (laughs) (laughs) this doesn't appear to have anything to do with the movie well Argento says the extraordinary freedom of expression and creativity that modern TV drama now offers and the interest that the public has shown towards it have encouraged me to take a stab at this new genre. Get what, it? New, what new genre? TV, I guess. Is that considered a genre? I don't know. Uh, all right. Um, Brian Fuller, who 
is from Hannibal fame, um, has petitioned on Twitter to control it. That doesn't seem like the right avenue. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, negotiating in public. Right, yeah. Yeah, Fuller took to Twitter and said he wants to be the showrunner, so... I don't know. Neat. I guess. Um, okay, so... I mean, I haven't... I haven't read Suspiria de Profundis. Or Profundis. How do you pronounce it? Um... I, I don't really know anything about it, actually, but... It, I actually didn't know Suspiria was based on a book. I, I knew that. I just I don't know anything about the book itself. Um, but, I mean, <clears throat> one of two things is going on here. Either Suspiria was nothing like the book. Right. Or this is nothing like Suspiria. Well, it's nothing like Suspiria. Um so I, I don't know if this is like following the book more closely than Suspiria did or, or what, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like listening to that description, Suspiria does not at any point come into my mind. No. Especially the whole Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. What does that have to do with anything? I have no idea. <sighs> anyway. Okay, well, that's it for that. Um I guess maybe if something else comes up, yeah, we'll, we'll see tell if you. any network picks it up. Jesus Christ, we're in our last story already? Yeah, so much for it being a long episode. No shit. So, last episode, we reviewed the movie... It follows. Yes, yes um, we did. Go back and listen to that if you haven't, but I'll say that we both enjoyed it. Yep. As did many people. Mm-hmm. And apparently, to the point that a sequel is already being discussed. Right. Um, Radius Time... Or not Time Warner Cable. I do that every fucking time. <laughs> Radius the Weinstein Company wants one, of course. Naturally. Because they like money. Delicious money. Um, Radius TWC co-president Tom Quinn says already the success of it follows has exceeded our goals the ultimate goal for us we want to see another sequel Um, I'm sure when he says another sequel he just means another movie a sequel not another sequel considering there's not a sequel yet yeah I I got that yeah Uh, writer director David Robert Mitchell does not sound as keen on the idea Mm mm-hmm he says, when I wrote it, it was just about doing this film, this one thing. I certainly have a ton of a ton of ideas for things that could happen, either with these characters or other characters in this situation, but I don't know. Right now, I'm not planning to do that. I have some other films that I'm trying to put together that are different genres. I like the idea of jumping around and doing different kinds of movies. A lot of people I know didn't expect I would make a horror film, but I love horror films and wanted to make one. I like the idea of continuing to do that and surprise people. I do intend on making another horror film. I don't know if it would be connected to It Follows or some other thing, because I feel like I learned a lot of things making this, and it would be fun to try and do something better, to be honest. If people really wanted it, if that ends up being the case, and there's a desire for more of this, I would think about it. As of this moment, I haven't decided. Yeah, because Mitchell, he's not a horror director, which I think a lot of people aren't aware of 
that that's not his primary genre. Um, I'm not really familiar with his resume, so it's not a, it's not a vast one. I, I kind of took a peek, peek at it. <laughs> Nothing that really stood out to me as you know things that I've seen. Um, but um, and you know I've I've I've, I've read interviews with him where he's talked it's like basically he said basically this he's like I'm not a horror director by trade but I wanted to do a horror movie well alright <laughs> good on you yeah you did a good job in my yeah. opinion so um, but you know leave it to a company like the Weinstein company to just take something like this that was so I won't say revolutionary but a good throwback mm-hmm. um, to you know I've heard it compared a lot to John Carpenter which is fine and you know I got some of those feels from it yeah um, you got some feels I gave you the feels stop it <laughs> you said it that's one of those that's another one of those terms I can't fucking stand <laughs> um but yeah, that, that's kind of the impression that you get from it is like a lot of Carpenter inspired things from, you know, shots and uh, how scenes are set up and even the music, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, but like we discussed in our review, it's very just old school in general. It captured a lot of those, uh, the look of a lot of other late 70s. 80s horror movies. Sure. So, but um, but I mean, if if you're going to go back to those late 70s, early 80s movies, and especially like John Carpenter, you think it could be like Halloween, which worked as a franchise, but this it? this is not. Yes, it did. <laughs> God damn it! Did it work? I mean, they ended the franchise. With Buster Rhymes. Did that work? We're not talking about anything H2O and beyond. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Those don't count. Jason went to space. Let's just... Everybody went to space. Michael Myers is jealous he didn't go to space. <laughs> Anyways, my point was that It Follows does not really follow that, pro- that uh, archetype. It's more closely related to something like The Thing, which probably would not have worked as a franchise. I don't, I don't think you could have seen The Thing 2 through 12 <laughs> and been like, yes, this still works. Right. Um, yeah, it's true. Um, I think if I were to see a sequel f- for this, I'd, I'd rather see new characters. But what would that be? It would be the same characters in the same – or different characters in the same scenario. It's the same movie with different people, which is, you know, a, a lot of sequels do that. And it, it's fucking stupid every time. I guess it's true. I mean, I'm thinking of... I don't know why, why but, uh, like, Final Destination movies come to mind. Or it's like it's basically the same thing. Same premise in every single movie. True. And there's a lot they of... just mix it up with characters and kill scenes. Yeah. Which is um, pretty much the only reason people watch those movies anyways is for the kill scenes. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to... It Follows doesn't really lend itself to, like, interesting kill scenes or you know, anything like that. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I think there's probably a way a sequel could work. 
Well, since you mentioned that, Quinn's idea. I don't want to give away too much, but we've thought about it. Flip the title. There's so much you could do. So he's suggesting follow it. Meaning they would, I guess, trace down back down the chain and find patient zero and try and figure out how this whole thing started, which sounds like a fucking Scooby-Doo adventure or something. Yeah. Like, I don't want to watch that. It's like, you know, it has been compared to an STD. It's like trying to figure out where your fucking strain of herpes came from. Right. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, you know, Mitchell, he doesn't seem to have a lot of interest in doing it mm-hmm. right now. But that doesn't mean that old Harvey Weinstein isn't going to do it anyway. Because he does, he's not in the practice of waiting for other people. It's true. <laughs> so... I mean, especially considering he just got accused of sexual assault. That just shows that he's not ready to wait for other people. Right. Is this, he's this, like, no, we're doing this now. Would this even be the first time for him? Uh, probably not. <laughs> um, I mean, because I'm, I'm thinking of, like, uh, Eric England. Basically, they just took the rights to contract it out from under him and yeah. made their own movie, even though he w- wasn't involved. Yeah, that's my big fear is that that's... That's what'll happen with this. They'll just if Mitchell's not down, they'll just hire some someone cheaper. Yep. Um, I do feel obligated to say that Harvey Weinstein will not be charged for his sexual assault. Oh, good. I just I don't, I don't want him coming after me. <laughs> um, but allegedly, he groped an Italian model. Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> People with dignity? <laughs> you wait for her to ask you to, Tony. Do you? <laughs> the Grave Plot Podcast does not condone unwarranted groping. <laughs> does not condone the views of Tony. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, anyway. So. Anyway, follow it. will be coming out December 18th, 2015 against Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's it for horror business. We've got some uh, some remains for you, uh, which fly through these pretty quickly. Um, didn't we program this last time? Nope. Okay. Um, Stephen Dorff, who you would know from Blade, uh, The Gate. Go all the way back to the fucking gate. You've been, been bad. <laughs> he was just a little guy in that, um, and he was bad. <laughs> uh, God, what? The, uh, he was in the Immortals. Um, that's it. Rule of threes. Let's keep it going. Okay. Um, that's a comedy thing. Always use three examples. No more, no less. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, he has. Uh, I, bu- I believe it's confirmed now that he has joined the cast of Leatherface. Um, uh, he's coming on as Hal Hartman, who's a hard-ass Texas Ranger with a grudge against the boy that would become Leatherface. Why does a Texas Ranger have a grudge against the little boy? Did he fucking kill his dog or something? I don't know. Anyway. Anyways, uh, Jeff Fahey is joining the cast of From Dusk Till Dawn. You would know him... As the 
What was he in Machete? Uh, he's a the... senator? Yeah. No, that was De Niro. He was like a senator's bodyguard or something. Something like that. Yeah, in Machete. Machete. He will be joining from Dust Till Dawn, the TV show, obviously, as a recurring character named Uncle Eddie Cruikshank, who raised the Gecko brothers after their father died, and he runs a TV-slash-appliance store as a front for black market scores. He also appeared in Planet Terror, which was another Robert Rodriguez joint. joint. <laughs> I was already going to say that. <laughs> yes! <laughs> um, okay, uh, the It remake has... Or will begin filming in June in New York. New York City! Uh, for those of you familiar with the story, it takes place in Maine, in a very small rural town. Uh, so why they're filming in New York, I... Yeah, that's a little odd. I hope they're not changing the location. I don't know. I mean, Stephen King did sign off on it, so I'm I'm hoping not, but... I mean, like, Derry is, like, Derry is, like, Stephen King's, like, town. Right. So for for him to just allow a drastic change of location like that. Especially to something like New York. Yeah. I mean, it, it says How New does York. How does movie work in New York? Well... That's, it doesn't say New York City. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't That's say New true. York City. So um, it, it could theoretically be anywhere in New York. There are some pretty rural areas there. Yeah. Lots of small towns. Um, but I don't know why they'd move it to begin with. I I really hope it's just the location and it's not. They're, I hope not they're not changing the town. Yeah. Because um, I, I feel like I feel like being dairy is an important part of the story. Yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway, um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is finally being released. I don't know how long this movie's been in development hell, but uh, it's apparently already been filmed, and it will be out February 19th, 2016. So mark your calendars. We did report on it that they were actually, they had cast. We'd cast, yeah, but they had cast people before, and they had fallen through. It's true. Remember Natalie Portman was going to be in it at one point? Yeah, and and Hathaway. I think maybe, yeah. Anyway, um, let's see, Warner Brothers uh, is developing a Five Nights at Freddy movie, Freddy's movie. Um, it's based on a series of games of the same name about a fictional pizza restaurant called Freddy Fazbear's Pizza, where the player must act as a night security guard defending themselves from the malfunctioning animatronic animals, char- anima- animatronic animal characters tracking their movement through the facility using their security cameras. So that's what these games are about. <laughs> Yeah, I've. Um, I keep seeing things about it, about the games, but I've never really looked into them. Right, it's a trilogy of games. There's, there's three of them, and yeah, apparently, at night these animatronics come to life, and if they see a person, they think that it's another one of them outside of the costume. They think it's just like an exoskeleton, so they try and take them and stuff them into one of these machines, <laughs> which you know is filled with mechanics and wires and all kinds of shit. So. Obviously, you die. Right. Uh, the games appear to be very popular. Yeah, I actually I downloaded a demo of I think part two. Yeah, and I didn't get it. <laughs> I I was like just sitting there like looking through all the cameras and then shining my flashlight on stuff and there was nothing there and then all of a sudden I was dead. All right then. <laughs> um, 
This is being developed by Roy Lee of Vertigo Entertainment and Seth Graham Smith and David Katzenberg of Cat Smith Productions, who, of course, is the team behind Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, so, apparently, they're still make, trying to work a Gremlins remake. This is also, also Cat Smith Productions. Who is this guy? Carl Ellsworth? Ellsworth? Do I know him? Well, I mean, he wrote Disturbia, The Last House on the Left, Red Dawn, and the forthcoming Goosebumps movie. Oh. Well, there it's, we go. It's all right there on this on the page. Yep. So it is. Well, yeah, he's now writing the Gremlins remake. Uh, okay, well, um, what, what? I don't know why they're still bothering with this. Because it is a name that people recognize. I guess. Um, it's... It's probably going to be shit. It's what they do. You know this. Human Centipede 3, starring Kevin Guest, will be released May 22nd, 2015. Nobody cares. Everybody is listening, saying, who the fuck is that? He's one of the, the humans. Of the centipede. Right. Um, Universal is working on a creature from the Black Lagoon. Lagoon, Lagoon remake. Ragoon? <laughs> yep. Um... It's probably going to be part of their shitty universe. The superheroes? Yeah, the superhero monsters. Um, you know, like, this This is a movie that I actually would like to see remade, but not the way they're probably going to do it. Yeah. Considering they're going with this whole superhero angle. Yeah. Action-adventure monsters. Teaming up. <laughs> we should team up. <laughs> um, looks like they're looking at Scarlett Johansson for the lead female role. Um usually a good idea sure uh yeah i don't know she'll she'll I'm play she'll play black one. widow right <laughs> um yeah speaking of people in talks for movies uh ryan gosling is reportedly in talks to join guillermo del toro's haunted mansion adaptation which is apparently still a thing right it, when's the last time we heard anything about this well i mean they've been talking about this since 2010 right yeah, so it's, I mean, this has been ongoing for several years, and yeah. they're still casting. <laughs> they're just now casting. Right. So. Um, I'm curious as to, like, what it's going to be. I mean, it's supposed to be, like, darker and scarier. Right. And less Eddie Murphy. <laughs> so. Um, I don't know. Well. See what this turns up if that if it even actually happens. Right. Um. I, uh, side note: I read that the uh, the hat box goes yeah added back He's to back. the ride. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, they removed him for however many years. Like, actually, I think since the ride because well, they couldn't get it to work right. Yeah. The their, their mechanics were the, the technology didn't technology <laughs> didn't lend itself to that prop right so, I guess now no. I guess it does yeah. probably all CGI right <laughs> um, Rocky Horror Picture Show is being remade into a TV movie for some fucking reason because it's a name because people will watch it it's true yeah um, it's gonna be on Fox of course it's gonna be on Fox and it'll be titled the Rocky Horror Picture Show event and it'll be choreographed is it a, is it a variety show <laughs> yes it's kind of what it, that's what that title leads me to believe, and I could see it 
being a variety show. Yeah. It's going to be choreographed by Kenny Ortega of the high school musical movies. I'm really surprised Ryan Murphy is not in on this. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Um, this seems like right up his alley. Yeah. Especially because it's on Fox. I wonder if he's at home going, oh, damn it. <laughs> That's such a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? Damn it, Murphy. <laughs> Scream Queens, really? <laughs> Okay, so that's it for Remains. Um, before we get into our reviews, uh, we have an interview. Yeah, let's, uh, let's listen in as we talk to Fred Carlini of Bright Lights Media about their upcoming board game, Mixtape Massacre. Check it. Hey guys, this is Taylor of Terror. And Skeletoni. And we are here with Fred Carlini, the creative director of Bright Lights Media, which is the team behind a new exciting board game called Mixtape Massacre. How you doing, Fred? Doing well, man. How you guys doing? Can't complain. Yeah, pretty good. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, first, how do we first see the game um you know i don't remember oh okay well i think we, maybe they might have started following us on twitter first oh it could be um could have been could have been yeah well we stumbled across um, your game <laughs> yeah that's awesome <laughs> it's always good when 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 people are actually seeing it <laughs> yeah. right <laughs> yeah when i first saw it i was like this is awesome i've always thought there needs to be more horror themed board games and so just to, to yeah, see one out there is is awesome yeah, definitely, and that's kind of what we were going for was that we were kind of, I guess you could say I've been kind of bummed with the fact that when it comes to board games, most of the board games out there are very zombie-related, and I mean, it's probably because of The Walking Dead, and I was just kind of like, you know, slasher flicks don't get love anymore, apparently, when it comes to games. It's, <laughs> so, it's definitely um, true. Definitely, Yeah, and it's definitely uh, definitely something we were like, you know, it's an ignored, it's an ignored uh, genre, definitely want to, you know, Pay pay a homage to it, so that's where we kind of came up with mixtape massacre and kind of you know bring back the eighties because we're a bunch of eighties kids. Nice. So are we. So we know how you feel. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so uh, why don't you tell us about Bright Light Media? Uh, kind of sure. what, what um, you guys do. Yeah, you got it. Uh, so we're actually a small um, boutique design firm. Uh, we work with you know. Uh, you know, startup companies, we work with Fortune 500s and everything in between. Um, we're a team of four. Uh, you've got Matt Carrado, who's, who's actually our creative director slash um, co-owner. You have myself, who's a lead developer slash co-owner. Um, you have Mary Joy, who's our content specialist and a junior designer. And then you have Taylor, who's in charge of uh, our video uh, productions and directing and things like that. Um, and, you know, we're based out of uh, Kensington, Maryland, slash Washington, D.C., um, and we work in everything. So <laughs> that's kind of how we got into doing the board game stuff was we were like, you know, we do all this print work, we do all of these, this graphic work and video work, you know, it's like, why aren't we putting this into a product we want to make? <laughs> yeah, I was taking a look at, like, kind of what you guys do and, you know, your, your history and stuff, and uh, board game definitely seemed like a new venture for you. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, I mean, we're, I mean, I'm a huge gamer, 
slash huge horror fan. So, um, you know, I've always wanted to make a game. And, you know, the Kickstarter platform, is it's amazing how, you know, it, it brings a new audience to something that generally wouldn't get the attention from a bunch of companies because, you know, big corporations, when you go to present them an idea, you know, their immediate thought is, what are the numbers on this? And the nice thing about Kickstarter is, you know, for a small team like us, we're able to put a product out there and we can deliver it to, you know, a small niche audience and, you know, work with them kind of like a big team to bring, you know, kind of these passion projects to life, uh, which is what I really dig about it. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, Mixtape Master was for us was I, I, I love horror films <laughs> and, um, it, it, it was just something that I felt that was getting ignored because, you know, a lot of the board games out there, if they're horror-oriented, most of them deal with zombies. And otherwise, it's just this, it's this community where it's a lot of RPGs and things like that. And kind of what Matt and I's thought process in making mixtape was we wanted to do something that kind of brought back old-school gaming style. Um, hence, like, the design of the board, it kind of kind of looks like an old-school game like Clue and Monopoly and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it introduces a couple of new-age mechanics to it, like multiple dice and, you know, multiple cards and things like that. So it, it, it kind of it will attract the new audiences and, and the people who are into the new styles of gaming, but really kind of hit home with people who kind of have that nostalgia for, like, old-school gaming. Um, and... If anything, Mixtape Massacre is completely deep with nostalgia, whether it's referencing 80s films, 80s music, 80s pop culture and icons, or just, you know, in the characters you play as who are all kind of these horror archetypes from the 80s. So um, you you said you're a huge horror fan. Was it your idea to make a horror-themed board game? Yeah, so it started um, with me and... Um, Matt and I, we'd always wanted to do some kind of project on Kickstarter, um, and we weren't sure if we were going to do a comic or if we were going to do a book or something of that nature. Um, and then, you know, the more I had thought about it, and I, was, I think I was actually at a board game night with a bunch of friends, and I was just sitting there kind of like playing all the different games and kind of knew the people who didn't play games as much weren't so into it. So I was kind of just studying the games around me, studying the people around me, because that's kind of how I am, is that I kind of, whenever I'm in a room, I'm always examining things. <laughs> so I was kind of noticing that, like, you know, certain people just weren't into it. And, you know, they were like, you know, why can't this be, you know, why can't this play this way? Why isn't this easier? And I was kind of getting annoyed because I was like, you know, the point of, you know, having these nights and having games like this is so everyone can play and everyone can have a fun time. And when I went home, I just, like, completely to sit there and I was like why has no one ever made a horror game where it's you know slasher focus you get to be the killer you're going around kind of you know killing the unsuspecting victims I was like you know it's it's always killing zombies or surviving zombies or you know something RPG related and I just I wanted something different so you know I, I kind of sat down with Matt and Mary Joy one day told him my idea we all worked together. We really embellished it. We, you know, Matt came up with some really cool uh, mechanical concepts to the game, which one of them is uh, that we're really, really excited about is actually kind of, it's kind of the RPG element of the game. It's, it's uh, your health is actually stored in an, a butcher knife. Mm -hmm. So as you, pl as you play through the game, 
Um, <laughs> as you play through the game, if you get hurt, you actually remove these little pegs from the handle of your butcher knife. Um, and also stored there is like, you know, you store your tokens there uh, that you collect, and it's got this nice profile card that gives a really nice backstory to the character you're playing as, which kind of gives some nods to old horror films. So anyone who's familiar with it immediately picks it up, and anyone who isn't familiar with it gets a fun story and, you know, kind of has like a, a point to what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it started was just, you know, sitting at a board game night and wanted something new. <laughs> cool. I, I like the idea of the the knife. That's definitely something something different. It's a cool concept that yeah. you know ties it into the whole slasher genre. Yeah, it seems like the the concept kind of bleeds into every aspect of the game. So that that, that was absolutely, and that, uh, that's something you can definitely give credit to Matt for because he's very 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 good. I mean, that's that's part of his job anyway is to always make sure that the aesthetic, um, kind of and the theme kind of runs through everything in the game. Um, you know, because originally um, the idea for the game was going to be there's going to be one set of cards that kind of controlled everything, and those are actually now called the bonus tracks, and they're more just chance cards, um, and they're decorated like old um, mixtapes. <laughs> which, when I came up with the game, that's kind of why it was called Mixtape Masters because of all these little mixtapes that you pick up along the way and the little you know tropes and tribulations that they cause. Um, but then Matt and I. Um, got to talking and he's like well if we have mixtapes he goes why don't we have vhs tapes which it was so funny it never dawned on me to have vhs tapes in the game when that is like how all these movies were it was on vhs so we made these things called killer scenes <laughs> and what they are is when you arrive in a location on the board you draw a card and you're presented with one of two options either the victim is open for an attack and if they are It'll tell you how many knives you need to roll, and you have three dice in your hand which have knives, fists, and pentagrams on them. Or it'll tell you they got away. And if they get away, generally, you'll probably lose, like, one or two health. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's kind of how the game plays. It's, you know, you're moving from location to location, kind of like how the killer is in any movie. They're moving from house to house trying to get all the victims. Um, and you're just constantly presented with, like, Either you're possibly going to have a chance at a kill or, you know, something's going to happen and they're going to get away, which is what always happens in the movies. Um, and if you kill the person, which is the really fun part, um, because that's kind of the, the action-oriented part, is you roll these dice and it's, if you hit the right combination, you get the kill. And when you get the kill, you get these little tokens that have what we call souvenirs in the game. And they can be a finger, they can be a hand, they can be an eye skull, an ear, a lock of hair, you know, yeah. <laughs> all, all the things that a good serial killer would love to collect. Um, sure. And kind of, kind of the point of the game is to collect those 10 pieces um, before anyone else does or be the last person left alive. Um, and that's the really, really fun element that we've noticed in doing all these demos lately of the game is that people really get into kind of, um, we've kind of referred... We call them brawls, but I always think of them as like the Freddy versus Jason, where everyone's always hoping that Freddy and Jason would finally fight. Mm -hmm. um, and you can actually brawl in the game and nice. fight each other. And that's where it's kind of like, you know, rolling dice against rolling dice and who gets the most knives or who gets the most pentagrams and things like that. Um, and so that's another way you can actually win the game. Sweet. So um, to all the, the killers, you know, the characters in the game, 
they obviously draw a lot of influence from these like '80s horror icons. Absolutely, yeah. They're uh, I kind I kind of referred to them as um, kind of referred to them as uh, hybrids <laughs> because there are a lot of elements of different characters. Um, you can definitely see, like in the main character who we refer to as the legend, mm-hmm. you can definitely see some Friday the Thirteenth elements to him. Um, but you also can see like some elements that other people who are fans of 80s films in general would might notice. And that's like, he's wearing the, um, the old like driving gloves with the trench coat, which kind of looks like the serial killer in Cobra with Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have, uh, the character nightmare, who of course, I mean, you kind of get a sense of who he might be referencing. Um, cause he's got claws and he's got a hat. But then the way he's kind of done facially-wise um, kind of has a dark man element to it. Okay. I'm a, yeah, I noticed I'm, that. I'm a, big, I'm a big Sam Raimi fan, so I wanted to try to get Sam Raimi characters into it. Um, we also kind of have that with, uh, with Sarah, who's kind of like a combination of, like, all the Asian horror films where the girl has the, the long hair drip, uh, draped in front of her. But then we put some chains on her, and we gave her a book to kind of have an Evil Dead feel to her. So it's all these it's all these nice things that you know give nods to horror films that everyone loved, but at the same time they all have their own new unique story, um, which is you know it it, it, it kind of makes it more fun that they're not just that character and that you know there's new elements brought to them. Right. And, um. Uh, crap. <laughs> Lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, pick up the slack. Um, so, one thing we always like to ask our guests is, what was the first movie that really got you into horror? Okay, so, it's so funny, because we were actually having this discussion the other night. So, I watched horror films all the time when I was a kid, because my brothers um, would just bring home these movies late at night. But the one that actually got me addicted to it was the one my dad brought home one night. Because, um, I mean... Of course, I was watching Freddy, and I was watching Jason when I was a kid, and I was watching Michael Myers and Texas Chainsaw, because that was what everyone knew. But there was this one movie my dad brought home on Beta, <laughs> so that'll tell you when this <laughs> wow. He brought it home on Beta, and it was called Hell Night. And it starred um, the girl who played Justice, but she was older. Um, and it's basically um, a bunch of kids in a, in, in, you know, a haunted house, and it's college night, and the reason it's called Hell Night is because in college it's like, you know, that big night of hazing. Mm-hmm. They make these six kids stay in this house that's apparently haunted. Um, but, you know, they're just like, all right, well, whatever, we'll just we'll stay the night, we'll get through this. And sure enough, there's actually this person living. And I just remember my dad brought this home. It was my brothers, me, and my little sister. And he put this tape on and was just like, we're going to watch this. Because I watched this the other night, and I want you guys to see this. And we were terrified. <laughs> it's funny because now I go back and watch it, and I think it's absolutely hysterical. But at the time, I just remember watching, being terrified of this main character named Andrew, who was like the killer of the film. Um, so I'd probably say Hell Knight was the one that just. I guess it. I guess from a nostalgic feeling of like you know watching it with your brothers and sisters and freaking out and your dad laughing the whole time. I think that was the movie that got me. You know, I'm glad you say that because a lot of a lot of our guests we have on, you know, they'll say that they're. You know their first like inspirations were, you know, really standard ones. You know, like Nightmare on Elm Street, Evil Dead. We get a lot of John Carpenter, Carpenter, um, Hitchcock. I won't lie. I won't lie. See, it's funny you say John Carpenter because (laughs) the thing, 
The Thing mm. is definitely a movie I love, but I love that movie for a totally different reason than most people. Most people just love it because, you know, it's a horror film. I love it because it's like an amalgamate of tons of horror films. It's a thriller because you don't know who is the thing. It's a creature feature. It's a comedy. I mean, you've got Kurt Russell in it who just, the guy just is still to this day like one of my favorite character actors. He's just so good. But I, I can understand John Carpenter films, but I love the thing. So Nice. That would definitely be another favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the, the pre-make? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, with, the girl, with the girl from Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I will give them kudos for actually, you know, recreating that other team that was there on on the thing. But man, I I, I tell you what really kills those movies. Um, and I've said it about so many movies is that it's that people just think that if you do remakes this day, if you use CGI you're going to make it 10 times better. And they don't realize that like makeup and practical effects are what made those movies so good. Yeah, really. Um, like, I mean, that is what made me believe thing was real. was just like that when that head comes out and the little tentacles come out of his legs, I could, like that stuff creeps me out when I see it, like <laughs> in CG, I'm just like, Oh cool. Um, computer graphics. I make those every day. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like watching a video game. Yeah, it's like, it's like ah, cool, cool. All right, let's move on. Yeah, we we talk about that like exact thing on the show all the time. It's uh, I think the the most common target is uh, the Friday the Thirteenth remake. Um, yeah, definitely. There's so much. Well, I mean, it's a slasher film, so you can only have so much like opportunities for CG. But there's so much CG. There's so much like. Uh, overproduction and stuff it's like no 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 that's why these 80s horrors were so successful because they had low budgets they were really like gritty and just uh they, i mean they looked cheap but they also had you know everything was practical everything was practical effects and um and that's why it really kind of created this golden age of horror back in the 80s and it's i don't think well, yeah and they and they had that they had that element to them that i mean I think that's why we love Mixtape Massacre so much is because it kind of celebrates that era of, you know, what those guys worked with back then. It's like you said, that small budget. That small budget makes you come up with solutions. Yeah. Whereas in this day and age, you have these over-bloated budgets where they can just, like, blood didn't look right. It's cool. We'll fix, we'll fix it in post-production. We'll fix it in post-production. And, like, I hate that attitude of just, like, we'll fix it in post-production. We'll use fake blood, like, you know, um... Even though I enjoy the movie, I always think of 300, where every piece of blood in that movie is just CG'd mm-hmm. to the point that it's just... It, it, and that's why you see nothing on the ground when anything occurs. But then I think back to movies like Evil Dead that like installed a hose in the wall, and when you and they shoot the hand, it's just pouring all over the house. It's like, you're not going to be able to clean that scene up. Like, yeah. There is no post-production. Get it right the first time, or we don't have the budget to do it again. Yeah, exactly. Like, um so mixtape massacre um as far as like gameplay and stuff um does does it draw any inspiration from any other like board games or can you compare it to anything else or absolutely so i mean i would think first and foremost the kind of layout of the game is very clue like 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's on. I think that's very. I think that's on purpose. Um, I mean, Clue takes place in a house, and you know, there's like I think like nine or eight locations in Clue. Ours takes place in a town and twelve loca- locations, and you know, we have like sewers where the killers can use them as shortcuts. Um, you know, we have a bunch of different little spaces, like um, as I said, the bonus track spaces, which are like chance and stuff. And I would say probably the chance cards or bonus track cards, obviously kind of draw an element from like monopoly where you you land on a question mark and it could be a good thing it could be a bad thing mm-hmm. but then we tried the to <laughs> yeah we, we tried to implement um some rpg elements into it so it kind of you know so you know more hardcore gamers would would also be into it so that's why when you pick up bonus track cards you know they can serve as an extra weapon or you can have you can keep them as an advantage to use later and things like that um I'm trying to think of any other games because, hmm, is there anything else it's like? I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a there's a game called King of Tokyo or King of Tokyo or King of New York, something like that. Um, that kind of has, um, you know, it, it's one of those games where you you have to roll dice to perform certain actions. So, I mean, it's kind of it kind of plays like that, but that game doesn't really have. Um, a moving element to it. Ours definitely has, like, you know, you play with an old school dice and you have to move mm-hmm. spaces. Like, that's something else I think I've missed from, like, some of the new games is that the way of traveling in new games is literally you can just move your piece anywhere. And it's kind of the element we love about our game is that you can screw up and you have to go back to start and it just really pisses people off <laughs> when they're playing. And, like, that's kind of, like, the thing we want is, like, you, you know, like, when you used to play Monopoly, and one of your friends like put put a hotel up on a space, or like covered a corner in hotels, and you knew it was going to screw you. Like you would get angry, and like that's kind of the the elements we built in is that you know if you can't get a kill, you have to go back to start. Like mm-hmm. you just failed as a killer. So like <laughs> you know we tried to implement elements like that to, to um, just to 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 increase the, the length of time that the game takes, but also just to really get people mad at each other because. It's parts like that where people start getting mad at each other, and then they they're like, "That's it, I'm going after them," and they go after each other in brawls. And then it's just so funny to watch two people go at it with the dice. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, as far as like movement, is it like basically just a like a ring, or can you kind of you have like free reign a little bit, or? Oh yeah, you definitely have free reign. Um, everyone, I mean, everyone starts at a starting point, um, and then you can literally go anywhere you want. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a town, so you just move through the sidewalks and the streets, and, you know, you can go to the school and kill some people there. You can go to the Roadhouse Bar and kill some people there. You can go to the 8-Bit Arcade and kill some people there. <laughs> there's, a, there's a motel. Um, there's the uh, town square. There's a skate park. There's uh, a smart shop video store. There's a... A, a lake, you know. There's all these. There's all these spaces that you are locations that you know from horror movies, yeah, pretty or eighties movies that yeah. are just in there. Um, the other locations. cool thing is that a lot of the illustrations of the victim, you can definitely get a sense of like who these characters might be and what eighties movies they might be from. And it's not just necessarily horror. Like we have characters in there who you're like, oh my god, like they're in the game. And I don't want to. I don't want to tell it because I don't really want to ruin for it when people play it. Like, who just tends to pop up? Mm. I will say that two stoners do pop up in a phone booth, which is pretty cool. 
and you get a chance to kill them. So nice. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that the bar is called the Roadhouse too. Yeah, absolutely. Like I mean, we we tried to get everything into it that we could because um, uh, I think one of my friends said it's 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 oozing so much with '80s nostalgia. You can hear the bubblegum popping and Cindy Lauper singing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the town the game play, takes place in is uh, Tall Oaks. Um, Tall Oaks. Yeah, is that? I, I got a lot of John Hughes from that is was that kind of an inspiration or did you like okay so there's there's two inspirations yeah there's a john hughes there's a back to the future inspiration to it there's also just the fact that we wanted to allude to the to the the to 1990 because the game kind of goes in terms of all the references and things from basically 81 to 1990 mm-hmm. we wanted to try to get something in there that kind of had like a twin peak feel to it so okay. I was like, what's the name of a town that's close to Twin Peaks? <laughs> and we were like, Tall Oaks. <laughs> but, um, just because, you know, we, we we wanted to just have a game that just encompassed so much weird, like, horror films and 80s, 80s pop culture that just, you know, it re- it would really be fun for anyone that was from the 80s. And then 80, anyone who wasn't, the 80s is being so regurgitated right now. There's no way people aren't getting the references. Right. Um, so how long how long did you work on putting this together? Uh, I'd say after some initial mocks and things like that, um, I'd probably say about before before we ever went went live on Kickstarter. Yeah, probably seven months or so. Okay. And you know, ideas were ideas were kicked around for some time, but then. Then we really just like it became. It's so funny because you know this is not our job, <laughs> right. but it was literally a piece of our job every day mm-hmm. for for probably six months at least. Um, even though the game was probably being developed for seven or eight months, um, there's probably six months of it were was really just every day. It was at least on the on the task list for two two hours or so. Nice. And you know, Matt Matt was. So he'd be inundated with design. He'd be getting website design. I'd be developing him, and then when he was finished, he'd be you know doing sketches for for a scene or doing sketches of the characters, and then you know running them by me and being like you know what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And like we'd be we'd be changing elements on them and just trying to make like the best characters we could that everyone would get a sense of who these characters were. So yeah, I mean probably probably seven months I'd say. That actually seems hear, kind of fast. I hear some. I hear some people say like, "Oh man, I've been making this for two years," and I, I don't know. I, I, it's the same thing. I, I, it's kind of the same thing we run into with like you know designing websites and 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 things like that. We always hear about these companies who like spend six months and eight months, and we're always wow, that's a long time. And I mean, we we get it, but like we're one of those teams who like we're we're pretty good at working together to make things move faster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of like, because the first thing, the first thing you're, you're doing with a game is you're de- developing the idea, you're developing the rules. You know, you're not making any board yet, you're not making any any designs, any cards, any anything. You have to make sure it actually plays. So you know, you're you're writing your rules. Then once you have that, you're you have to design your board. So you know, I was doing wireframes at first before Matt was even skinning it and and making it look like something. Mm-hmm. So, 
and it's again, you know, we're we're a small team, but we're one of those teams that are constantly passing things off to each other and constantly getting things done. You know, Mary Joy was constantly writing and rewriting like cards and references over and over again, spell checking. You know, <laughs> making sure not to infringe on copyrights and things right. like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, kudos yeah. for creating such a such a like a planned out and cohesive idea in such a short amount of time. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so, okay, uh, I guess what, when, or actually, you know what, um, this day and age, I mean, v- kind of video games are like the main source of entertainment for, you know, you know, 20-somethings, you know, teenagers, and even sometimes 30-year-olds, or, you know, in their 30s. Um, do you think that board games are kind of making a comeback? You know, I... I, I when I when I was at that board game night with a bunch of my friends and I saw how many people actually brought games and there were so many with them, I was like, whoa! I was like, like a renaissance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, um, and then while we were developing this game, um, NBC actually ran this um, this this show on I think March twelfth. There was an episode where they talked about the board game renaissance, and I was like, holy crap! And Chu's texting me, or I'm sorry, Matt is texting me, and he's going like, "You're not gonna believe this. You're not gonna believe this." And like, we're and uh, Mary Joy was also like, "We're all texting amongst each other. We're just like, you know, we're we're making a game right now, and they're talking about this. This is crazy." Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, and and there's you know there's sites like Board Game Geeks where like you know there are communities just based around it, and there are so many games, so many. Like, it's almost becoming like, you know. It's almost becoming like an oversaturated market. There's just so many games. There's so much to pick from. Um, and I, I think it's cool. I think it's cool that that's, that's kind of making a comeback. I like that. Like, you know, it's kind of like It Follows just came out. And that thing has such an – it's like dripping with old school feel. And, like, it, it, it's one of those movies where, like, the ending makes no sense. And that's totally, <laughs> that's totally an 80s movie. Like, and, you know, all of a sudden the guy has sex with the girl and he's like so cool. And I'm like, oh my God, what the heck? <laughs> uh, like, it was so funny. Uh, that, the end of that movie, com- sorry for changes, but the end of that movie completely made me laugh because I was like, he had sex with that girl and now he knows how to have fashion sense. This is amazing. <laughs> like, this movie is amazing. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's so cool that these, that, that board games are back. Like, I like that. I like that old school stuff is back because what's funny about what's funny about the video game market to me is how much you either have to be a big gun or you have to be an app. Um, you know, there's indie games out there and there's awesome indie games out there, but even those indie games have pretty good budgets nowadays. It's kinda like when you say oh, we made this independent film. And I'm like, oh, really? You made an independent film? They're like, yeah, we had like a budget of $12 million. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, I think it's cool that, that you know, old school gaming is coming back. And and I, um, it's funny because we were actually, while we were demoing the game, we had some, like, some younger kids playing the game. And they were like, oh, yeah, man, I play this game, I play that game. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. So, you know, it's not just, you know, us yearning for something like this. There's definitely younger audiences playing stuff like this. So I think it's definitely cool. Do I think it's probably on the level of video games? Probably not. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's just there's just so much with these video games anymore that, that is just, you know, these budgets and the amount of advertising that they're like making movies now, basically, mm-hmm. with the budgets they have. I think what did they say that like Grand Theft Auto made like <laughs> 
it, I think it made like a billion in its first week or something like that. I was, what? Yeah, I so. think I'd heard it's like one of the highest selling games or the highest sell, highest selling game, and it's like uh, first day or release day or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, but the whole funny thing is, it's kind of like the movies where like you hear like biggest opening weekend ever, and then three weeks later, Fast and Furious comes out, and it's like biggest opening weekend ever. And I'm just like. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, if you're throwing $500 million at a movie, it better make money the first weekend. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's I funny that's that... why I, I, I've always been a big horror fan is because, you know, even those movies today are still made on low budgets, at least in comparison to some of the movies like that. And I like I like those movies where it has a raw feel still. Yeah, definitely. Um it's funny that we're talking about this board game renaissance because we're recording this interview on Friday and tomorrow is actually National Tabletop Day. And I'm, exactly, yeah. I'm going to be having my second annual beers and board games night. Yep. So uh, Don't you guys wish you had Mixed Tape Massacre? I really do. I can't wait for next year when I, we can actually play it. Like, why don't you overnight us in a advanced yeah. copy? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll actually, um, it's funny you bring up Tabletop Day, because we will actually be at Third Eye Comics in Annapolis, Maryland tomorrow to celebrate Tabletop Day. We'll be having two, they're in-house prototypes we made, so they're not like fully manufactured uh, working parts, I mean working games, but they're they're pretty close to the real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be uh, demoing those tomorrow, let people play it, you know, if they like it, go back it on Kickstarter kind of thing. Um, and also, it's just cool to do this with different groups all the time because even though the game is on Kickstarter right now, we're still open to feedback. Um, that's kind of what I also like about Kickstarter is, like, you put it out there and our comment section on the thing is like, hey, you guys should do this. Hey, you guys should do that. And we're like, oh, okay, okay. And since, you know, we still have days left and we can go through and edit things, we can change things in the rule book, you know, we're completely open to it. So... Mm-hmm. Tomorrow will be nice to, to get some nice feedback from people and let them play the game. You know, I, I, I kind of I kind of dig that whole thing where it's like, oh, it's it's on Kickstarter, but hey, things can still change. <laughs> yeah. So let's why don't you tell us about your Kickstarter campaign? Um, it just opened up. Let's see, today's Friday. Opened up what two days ago? Yeah, we uh, started the Kickstarter on Wednesday. Um, okay. On our first day, we made twenty. By by the end of the first day, the first twenty four hours, we had made twenty five percent. Cool. Which, from, from what we read on statistics, is pretty good. Um, we've kind of had a slow next two days. I think we I think we are now sitting at around thirty percent. Mm-hmm. I want to say, which is good. Which is good. I mean, because we still have twenty seven days left. Uh, I'm sure tomorrow we'll bring out some more. Um, we'll bring out some more people f- for the Kickstarter, which is great. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of the social media thing. It's They all come and play it. They all go and tell their friends, and they tell two friends, and they tell two friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, you know, that's kind of that's how we've been doing it. I mean, we're a small shop. Um, you know, it's kind of funny, like, because we, we, we studied a lot of other Kickstarters before getting on to the Kickstarter thing. You know, we wanted to learn from other people, but... The crazy thing is, is like you know, we're a small shop. We're we're not one of these people who've been making so many board games that we have this big following. And like, you can put your game out in one day and get your get your game funded in a day, and then you're hitting stretch goals. Um, it's kind of funny because I, I see these these companies, even though they're like fully established companies, and they they're definitely putting out these games whether they get funded on Kickstarter or not. They just use Kickstarter to kind of. It's like, well, we can just make our numbers now 
and we'll know what we need to produce. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you guys are lucky. <laughs> Whereas, you know, we're kind of a small, small team coming in. And, you know, every day for us is kind of a victory right now. Um, mm-hmm. Just seeing that, like, people are still backing us. People are spreading the word. People are asking us for graphics to advertise and stuff. It's like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a flattering. Like, it, it feels good. Like, um, so, so we have pretty good hopes right now. Um, you know, especially heading into this weekend um, with the tabletop day, because you know that has a lot of push behind it yeah. and gets people thinking about it. Um. So, what, what's your what's your ultimate goal? I mean, like as far as like um, dollar amount on on your Kickstarter, what are you, what are you going for? The dollar amount. Um, well, to produce what we want to produce, because um, there's not really a profit margin in here for us. Right. It's mostly <laughs> producing and shipping, which shipping alone. Another thing about being a small company, being a small company, we don't have fulfillment ship, uh, centers in like Europe and stuff, which a lot of these companies do. So shipping for us is pretty expensive. So okay. uh, producing producing a high quality product and the shipping, uh, our goal is at twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. We currently sit at six thousand on, and we're approaching the end of day three. So we're doing pretty good, um, and. Um, our budget's actually pretty small compared to other games that are on like the level of amount of pieces and stuff that come with it. Yeah. So it's pretty good. It's pretty good. We're doing pretty well. Um, uh, we've, and I think we actually just started some advertising on some of the gaming sites. So that should help us too. And we got a couple people doing press stuff for us. So, you know, in the coming, in the coming week, we'll start, we'll probably start seeing some more action, which is great. Cool. So, uh, how about, how about some of the perks that come along with the, with uh, funding so so yeah so you know flat out 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 of the out of the box we made it that anyone who buys it gets the full package um we've seen a lot of these things where people kind of just make these basic reward packages um and they're like oh well you can get elite oh you can get the premium oh you can get this and they're like eh, you know I, we, we want people to play the game we want them to have all the parts to start with so the way we packaged it was we, we started with the first reward which is just kind of the um digital high five and it's just you know donate five bucks we'll give you wallpapers and um then we have the uh we did an early bird special which was gone in the first day (laughs) um it was it was 75 copies of the game and i think we were doing those at 55 bucks um and that includes shipping free shipping in the usa so everything's included in it um so people aren't paying like 10 or 20 bucks to to get their package um then after those were gone, we have the regular, it's the game, um, at 60, so just $5 more than the early bird special. Um, and again, comes with everything. And if we hit any stretch goals, any person who contributes gets all the stretch goals, which was our other big thing is we wanted everyone to take advantage of all the stuff that comes with it. So after that, we have the whole bloody affair package, mm-hmm. which is we did the game, we did a Grindhouse-style poster, um, and then we did a Grindhouse-style T-shirt because we wanted to, you know, again, give nods to the old-school uh, horror films. Then after that, we have a Double the Fun, which we like to refer to as the, you know, grab a friend and save some taco money. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you get you get two games with shipping, and you save 10 bucks. So, you know, it's kind of worth it for people to get that package. Mm-hmm. Then after that, uh, we have we have what's called playing the victim, and this is kind of like for those you know people because we see people all the time doing these crazy packages, and we wanted to make it something that was like 
really, really fun for big, big fans. We've had a lot of people saying, like, you know, I'm trying to get friends to give me money to get this package. And it's for $666. <laughs> you can be drawn into the game. So you will be one of the uh, victims on the victim cards. Um, I so wish really, I could really afford that. Get, yeah. Huh? I so wish I could afford that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all because we were kind of like, um, it, we've got a couple friends who own bars who are like doing donation things right now, trying to get the money because they want to have like one of their friends try into the game. So <laughs> it's pretty funny. And there's only five of them. We only need five of them because the other thing is that kind of illustration and sending it back to the person, making sure that they're happy with how they look in the game and everything. We didn't want to make it like, oh, let's have 40 of these and they take up all the cards. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, we definitely, definitely want to like try to let you know big fans be in the game. Um, and then, other than that, we're, we're we're actually coming up with some different reward levels to kind of fill in between the two. Um, then we have the stretch goals, which are pretty cool because right now we have it that you know we're set at the budget of twenty. Then we put some stretch goals that'll allow people to have you know additional token pieces because right now we have a bunch of different body parts, but we have a few other ideas in mind, um, illustration wise. So if we can reach the budget, we'll definitely put those designs in. We have some what we call director's cut um, killer scenes that didn't make the list, um, but we were thinking about putting them back in, and if we can, we're going to put those and add them to the deck so there will be even more cards in the killer scenes. We have two extra characters who, if anyone's a big fan of horror films, will love these two additions, and I can't tell you who they are. But I think... Um, and I actually, if I look at my notes, yeah, if we hit the 200, 200 uh, contributors mark, we're actually going to tell people who one of the characters is just to get people really psyched. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have some, we have two rewards that haven't been announced, but I think I'm going to announce them anyway. So you guys will be the first people to know this. Yes. Great plot two exclusive. Of, <laughs> <laughs> two of the stretch goals. These ones were something Matt really wanted because of the fact that we have a set of cards that look like tapes and a set of cards that look like VHS tapes. Um, the card case slash holder that the tapes will come in will actually be a cassette case holder. Nice. And the VHS tapes will come in an old cardboard box, kind of like the old VHS tapes of old with like ribbed corners and things like that. And it'll be fully decorated with mixed tape master, like, VHS style. Nice. Um, so that's that's a that's a nice stretch goal. Um, you know, we're gonna have a uh, we 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 have the idea of doing a dice bag that's kind of a uh, dirty brown bag with like blood stains all over it to hold all the dice in it. You know, just just things that you know. Again, they're not in the budget, but are awesome additions, and we want everyone to have them. So if we do, you know, catch fire and this project starts just getting off the ground, we're like, all right, well, cool. We want to add elements to the game that everyone will love, um, you know, because again, you know, we did this thing to get the game made. We didn't do this thing to, you know, become millionaires from a board game. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. So yeah, so that's so that's some of the reward levels and stretch goals we have in mind right now. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, to wrap up, I guess let's have you tell everybody where they can find you. Where what's your website and your your social media and where you can, they can go so give you money. If you're, looking, if you're looking for us on the web, it's uh, www.mixtapemassacre.com. Uh, search us on Kickstarter under Mixtape Massacre. Uh, Facebook Mixtape Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, some guys on Twitter. 
who are DJs, which doesn't make any sense to me because laptops do not involve cassettes. <laughs> it's the name Mixtape Master. But you can find us on Twitter at MXTPE Massacre. And Instagram, of course, you can find us at Mixtape Massacre. So we have everything but Twitter. So tell those guys to give that name up because they, they shouldn't have it. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we'd love to have uh, more backers. Uh, if you're a big horror fan, I promise you will not be disappointed by this game. Cool. Um, and uh, so this this will actually air on uh, next Wednesday. Um, are you doing any uh, any other demos uh, from there on? We are supposed to be doing one in Virginia, and I believe there might be a demo at a bar night, kind of like what you're doing tomorrow with your old beers and, and board games. We're probably going to be doing it at one of the big bars here in D.C. Um, we're not positive the date. We're not positive the location yet, but someone's planning it. So I'm waiting to hear back. So, yeah, we will probably be doing at least two more demos within the DMV area, which is which is cool because, again, like, I, you know, I just want, every, I want everyone to play it. Like, that's my big thing. I just... <laughs> We, we have tons of fun doing it. Everyone who's demoed it has tons of fun, tells friends, and they want to have demo night. So we're like, yeah, we'll do a demo night. We'll do a demo night, by all means. Cool. <laughs> so I assume when when you get those details, they'll probably be on your website, I assume. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. We'll, we're we're going to have an event section for uh, anything else coming up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, <laughs> We're Instagramming every day. We're Facebooking every day. We're Twittering every day. So, you know, follow us, retweet us, get the word out there about the game. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks a lot for being on here with us, Fred. It was a lot of fun talking to you, and uh, we're both really excited about this game. So, <laughs> yeah, you've got Absolutely. you've got my money already. So, <laughs> <laughs> appreciate, it, man. Uh, you know, I, I, I love 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 uh, sharing time with other horror fans. Yeah, right on. Well, good luck, and uh, hopefully, we'll be playing the game soon. All right, all right, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for yeah. coming on. Take care. I got that grave plot. I got that So that was a fun interview. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. I really hope it, it, it winds up getting made. Cause yeah, me too. Uh, I know you put your money down on it, so I did. I'm going to be over here playing, playing it when you get it. When's the delivery date? Like October? October, yeah. Fitting. Right. Uh, so, yeah, um, go check out Mixtape Massacre at mixtapemassacre.com, as he mentioned, and um, throw in some cash. Definitely. Get, get this game made. <laughs> All right, um, so got some reviews ahead of us uh mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we have a special short review of a short film mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was sent to us um sent to us by the director named uh Gigi Saul Guerrero mm-hmm. um and here to help us with that from wrestling with subtitles is Max Zaleski hi Max hey guys how you guys doing pretty good oh, your voice sounds terrible thanks <laughs> <laughs> you said you were gonna be better by today I said that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Max is our resident wrestling expert. Right. Um, resident. Re- re- resident. Yeah. He's our, he's our resident. Resident um, expert. And you may be asking, why is Max here? Uh, I'm asking myself the same question. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Uh, but no, uh, the short film is El Gigante, which is obviously um, the gigantic. The, the gi- thank you, um, but it is based on or the. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying things correctly. It movie good. We like it. Uh, it's about. It's about days. movie good time. Gigante. It's about wrestling. Yeah, that's what I was basically trying to say. <laughs> Um. Anyway, so. <laughs> Anyways, let's get into it. El Gigante. Yeah. Uh, this runs what a total of thirteen minutes. Are you gonna put a bumper in here? Is there a bumper to be put in? I don't know. Probably. It's about half the half the time of the actual movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I'm gonna put one in because oh, okay. there probably isn't one to be put in. Okay. I'm sure you can find a trailer. A trailer for what? Ten percent of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine. Fuck it. Um, anyway, so yeah. About, what, 13, 14 minutes long? 13 and, and change. It's like 13 minutes and 52 seconds, and then four minutes of that is credits at the end. But it also, like, continues the story. Right, there's scenes interspersed there's scenes through interspersed the credits. in the credits. Right. Which give way more backstory to the entire movie than the entire movie does. Short, at least. Yeah. You know, I'm watching this thinking, it's like, this story is too big for a short film. Yeah, that's... It's, I don't say this often, but I think that this is actually impeded by the fact that it's a short film. Yeah. I think this would be better as a feature length because you could get more story about who these characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because it's such a short film, uh, you can't get a, really give it a, get away with telling a lot about the plot. Um, but, I mean, there, there's a, a man who is sending his... They're, 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 they're Mexican obviously on the Mexican side of the border, sending his family across the border with, with a coyote. Um, not That's somebody who moves immigrants across the border, for those of you not the aware. actual dog. Right. Um, and then he is walking across the desert and gets captured by this family, I presume, uh, of... Maniacs, <laughs> yeah, more or less. I mean, it, it kind of has this like Texas Chainsaw Massacre three feel. Yeah, um, this movie is gritty as fuck. How so? Just everything's just dirty and oh, like literally gritty, gritty, grimy, yeah, yeah. grungy. Yeah, just you could say it's greasy, greasy. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> You said it. You put words in my mouth. Um, No, I'm Italian. I take personal offense to the term (laughs) greasy. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Basically, this guy gets picked up, and he has to fight El Gigante. Yeah. Which is just a giant Lucha Libre wrestler. Luchador, if you will. I will. And, uh... 
yeah, that's pretty much the whole movie. That's 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 the plot. Yeah, I mean, obviously, most of the movie is this match between the two of them. Yeah. And For you wrestling fans out there, it was a squash, by the way. <laughs> What's that? A squash is when a bigger wrestler usually fights a smaller wrestler, and there's very very little offense okay. from the small to the big. So this is a, a thing that happens this because, is yeah. I mean, I've seen things not, happen. Not quite to this extent, but. <laughs> right? Because I'm thinking this guy has absolutely no chance. Yeah. <laughs> no and chance he's... in hell, Tony. Sure, that's what you got. <laughs> yeah, this guy <coughs> wakes up and he's got a like a homemade wrestling mask stitched to his face. Mm-hmm. It's like stitched into his neck, so he can't take it off. So he's made out of like burlap or something. Yeah. Um. And then Il Gigante's got a title belt that's just made of God knows what. Tin foil or something. Yeah, there's definitely little bits of gold in it. Right. Which uh, is relevant, but I don't want to give it away. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, I think we're basically done talking about the plot because there's not much else yeah. that we can say we don't without give giving away, it away. Give away the end. Um, anyway, so thoughts, everyone? <clears throat> As a wrestling fan in in the uh, in the actual match itself, there there's literally only like one legitimate move where he holds the guy above his head, and he's doing it reverse because you never bend somebody's stomach out. Mm-hmm. You always bend somebody like backwards. Mm-hmm. So he's he, he's folding him this way, much like in um, Freddy versus Jason, where he's sandwiched in in the, in the bed in the bed. Yeah. So he's trying to bend him that way. Right. And that makes zero sense. Like and, and like in the air. So he's in just, in like, the air, it's not like he's like slamming him down. No. Back or anything. He's just he's like just like just trying, trying to fold him into a taco in midair. Yeah, I'm like I don't care how strong you think you are. That's just not happening, especially <laughs> with a guy that's maybe only half your size. Right. It's you know you could barely do that to a kid rather yeah. than <laughs> rather than like an actual adult. Um. Yeah. I... I thought that the makeup and, and and the special effects were incredible. For they were they were really they good. Really, yeah. that was really well done for which I what I presume was a small budget. Um, so I, I I looked up this uh, these people up on on IMDb Luchagor Productions Luchagor Productions and I looked up uh, some of their stuff and they've done a lot not Luchagor itself but the people involved are fairly big in in Mexican uh, culture or like the Mexican film uh, in down in Mexico obviously. And, uh, like, some of these people are part of, um, uh, like, their daily soaps down there. Oh. Hmm. So it's it's really interesting to see, uh, you know, you wouldn't see, you know, guys like Patrick Swayze going up in a Freddy movie. Right. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting just uh, just Especially see, a short. Especially a short where they probably got paid pennies. Right. But, mm-hmm. uh, or pesos. Huh. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it was, it, it was an incredible eight or nine minutes, and then I felt way better knowing about the story the last three minutes of the credits and I I agree with uh, Taylor over here that, that I think that it it could lend itself to an actual full movie uh, if they decided to go for that route yeah see, there, there, there are short films that I watch and I'm like I can see this being a full length but this one I feel actually like I said would be better as a full length right not just that I think it could be a full length yeah. but I feel like there's just too much story and not enough time. Right. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's, there's there's so little time to introduce you to these characters. I mean, you know, you're, you're introduced to this family of psychos. I mean, these just really 
grimy, dirty, disgusting people, and you don't know who the hell they are. Mm-hmm. Like, there's absolutely no introduction in them whatsoever, other than they're already just sitting there ringside. And you have to presume it's like either they're maybe related by blood, or maybe they're just like almost like a, a Manson family type family, just like maybe like a cult or something of that nature. Could be. I was getting um, from the wrestling side of my brain. I'm like, oh, it's the Wyatt family, but it's also <laughs> the Wyatt family plus the Hills Have Eyes. That's a, yeah, very that's a good much, analogy. Very much the way that they were acting, and it looked like the grandma was blind, and mm-hmm. and, and and all that. And uh, but yeah, you didn't have any time to get attached to any of the characters. Um, and same you, with the victims too. Right. You don't get a chance to find out who this family is. Like obviously, like Tony said, you know they're crossing the border, but. Like Tony said, he, he sends his wife and daughter out, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you see is him cro- crossing the desert, and he's covered in blood already. So it's like, where where was he? What happened to him? How did he get to this point? Mm-hmm. You know, this actually kind of kind of played out as um, at at big conventions. They usually show like a ten minute trailer, mm-hmm. big trailer for a movie. Mm-hmm. This is what it looks like. It, it, it looks like an entire film is made, but they're but they're releasing it. Bit by bit, I kind yeah. of wonder if that's if that's the case. If they're trying to use this as a proof of concept right. in order to get a, a full but a full length feature film made, that very well could be like step two for them, right? Yeah. Um, I I thought I thought it was really good. I I, I enjoyed I, it. Yeah, it's it's eight and a half minutes of of actual film, and then the t- the trailer opens up eighty five percent of the story, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. so. I mean, if they if they went full full bore with this, I I, I I could see it becoming popular at least with the niche wrestling fans as well as the horror people. Yeah. Um, I'm a little torn on it. Um, I don't want to say I didn't like it because I I didn't not like it. Um, I guess it's don't just you use fucking double negatives in my house. Fuck you. Uh, I guess it's because again because it was so short and so little time to unfold this story um it didn't make sense yeah (laughs) like the combination of wrestling and what ultimately happened at the end didn't make any sense together to me but I feel with some expansion on the story it probably would have made a lot more sense um so all in all, I thought it was pretty good, I guess. Um, like, the visuals are good. Um, and, I mean, the acting was, was, was good. I mean, obviously, it was in another language. So, it's, it, you never really notice how differently you judge acting when it's in a different language. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I guess from my stupid American <laughs> perspective, it was good acting. Um like Max said, I would have liked to have seen more wrestling moves. Yeah. And but again, I think with more time, they probably could have. Probably. I don't know if the guy playing El Gigante has any wrestling experience, if he's like a, you know, triple A wrestler or anything like that. But I looked and I didn't see anybody you didn't recognize by, by his name. name. I didn't recognize the name. Uh, but he does have a wrestler's body. Yeah. I mean, he looks like a Rudo, which is a bad guy in Lucha Libre. Uh, and um, going back to your point about wanting a little bit more backstory... Uh, with what happened at the end, without giving too much away, um, it's not un, un, uh, uncommon for uh, Lucha Libre families to have a, a, 
a cart that they bring to places and sell their sell beads or bracelets or their food wares. or whatever. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. So a little bit of backstory for you, sure. but uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I took a look and I didn't see I didn't see like a wrestling consultant in the credits, which is fine. Uh, that probably could have helped though. That, yeah, I mean, it was eight minutes of film and four minutes maybe in the ring. So I mean, it was a typical divas match. Um, <laughs> so uh, I mean, it was uh, yeah. I mean, I would love to see it more fleshed out. Uh, and uh, my 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 biggest gripe is that the mask of of El Gigante and the mask of the of the victim were like the same. Yeah, yeah. I wanted something different. I'm like, uh, and in in the poster or on the poster in in the little uh, when you look it up on IMDb or or look up uh, images on like Google or whatever, he has like a different mask on in, oh, really? in the poster. It's not <laughs> a raggedy burlap sack. Interesting. So it was uh you know it was weird, but I mean. Very small gripe for a for a eight minute film, right? Yeah, yeah. That that it's, you know small gripe for a small film. It's like there's not really a there's not enough to complain about. Mm-hmm. So I mean, unless he was caught himself. <gasps> um. Anyway, so anything else from anyone? Are we doing numbers on this? Or might as well. All right. Max one through ten. Uh, I'll give it a seven. I mean, I I, I really liked it. Uh, obviously, for such a short film, it it hit all of my like. Hey, a lot of gore. The story was fine, even though there wasn't really a story. Um, the acting was fine. They're they're very minimal dialogue. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, it clicked everything. There's um, not much else to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm right there with you. I think I'm going to go seven as well. Um, it definitely hits a lot of horror tropes. You know, you've got the, the creepy family. And, um, you know, like I said, everything's just grimy and, and gross. And it's got a, a very Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of feel to it. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. But I, I I would definitely want to see more. I, I would love to see this as a full length. Yeah, uh, same for me. I, 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 would much pref- I would much prefer to see this as a full length. Yeah. Um, it's but, not, it, like I said, it's not just that you could see it as a full length. It's that you want to see it as a full length. Yeah. Um, and But for what I did see, it was very well done. I mean, the, the camera work was great. Um, the, the, the framing of, of the shots was good. Uh, the, you know, the gore you mentioned, mentioned was really well done. Uh, and I said earlier, the, the acting was well done. I mean, you, you didn't get the impression of... Like people like just reciting lines. Mm-hmm. Again, it was in another language, so it's hard to tell when that's happening. Um, All five sentences of dialogue, right? right. <laughs> but um, for what I did see, it was done, and I'm gonna match you guys and say seven. So, all right. And I do want to point out if you are in the Seattle area, like I know many of our listeners are, as we are, uh, this movie will be showing at Nifty which is the National Film Festival for Talented Youths. That's nifty. Isn't it? Hey. On, I want to say, June 25th. I'm going to double-check that, though. June 2050? Not the nifty? Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) April 25th. 
Oh, so it's like you were way off. Two weeks away. Yeah. Good thing you didn't listen to me because you would have missed it. <laughs> All right. So yeah, El Gigante, um, directed by Gigi Sal Guerrero. Thank we we want to thank her for alerting us to it. Yes, we were first. Uh, she was first brought to our attention because she did one of the segments in the Sasuke's Blood Drive PSA. Right. That's where I saw her name. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, check it out at the Nifty. Yeah. Um, I think she's. Is she doing other screenings elsewhere? I don't know. I have to imagine they have a website. And I, if you Google Luchagore Productions, I'm sure you can find it. I'm right. pretty sure it's just luchagore.com, but okay. I don't want to be on the record on that. <laughs> um, so go check them out, see if you can find a, a showing near you, um, and check it out. Yeah. Um, Max, you want to hang out for the... Rest of the show? Or? I would love to hang out for the rest of the show. All right. Okay. Moving um, on to our, our full reviews. Uh, which one do you want to do first, Tony? I don't give a fuck. All right. Let's do Dead Rising Watchtower. This is Chase Carter. Not a zombie in sight. Anytime now. Now, many of those abandoned here are people infected with the zombie virus. They depend on the tents behind this fence and the drugs inside to quite literally remain human. I did. We're talking about a zombie outbreak here. Yes, but what does that mean? It means you're basically f***ed. That's great. This is a serious situation, but there's no need to panic. Hey, watch the road. We now count down the hours to the inevitable firebombing. You gotta get me out. Got firebomb tomorrow. The quarantine is sealed. There's nowhere to go. They're gonna burn everyone. We don't know that they're gonna burn anyone. <laughs> we need some kind of plan. First thing you wanna do is take out as many as possible. <laughs> Grandma. Grandpa too. Remember to build weapons. Lots of weapons. Kids uh, don't build weapons. Okay. (laughs) And in three, two, one. Okay, so Dead Rising Watchtower is a film adaptation of the popular Dead Rising video games. Yes. Yes, thank you, Tony, for that brilliant insight. Um, You are correct in that. (laughs) If you haven't played the games, they are about zombies, ostensibly. Do tell. But really, they're about the fall of the Berlin Wall. (laughs) Mr. Gorbachev. That's a reach. Reach around. Uh, hey Reach around. <laughs> uh, but the movie is about a character who is not in the games by the name of 
Chance Chase you know, Chase. What's his last name? Carter. Carter. Played by Jesse Metcalf. Jesse Metcalf. <laughs> Fuck me. Why don't you do what I do and pull up the fucking Wikipedia I and IMDb? Usually do. I usually pull up the IMDb. Yeah, why didn't I do that? You fucking guy. Um. Yeah, he is a reporter, and he is reporting on the zombie outbreak. But in the Dead Rising universe, the zombie outbreak can be contained, even if you have been bitten. You can get medicine called Zombrex, which uh, calms your your urges. Feeds the beast. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Chase uh, is trying to find a story about Zombrex, and while he's, he's investigating, he finds out that the Zombrex is no longer working. So they start to um, they they deduce that the strain must be resistant to it all of a sudden. That it's a new strain of the zombie virus, or whatever bullshit. And basically, we're all fucked. And basically, we're all fucked, according to Frank West, who is the <laughs> the star of the first movie and is played in this by Rob Riggle, who does he's so great. <laughs> like sometimes he bugs me. But this was just awesome. He played the character so well. <laughs> he, like, playing the game, this is not what I would think of Frank West no, being like. No, no, not at all. But this was like this is what I wanted the character in the game to be like. <laughs> there was probably no forethought in, in, in knowing that Frank West was going to be played by Rob Riggle. Probably, like not. Six, probably not. Six years later. Yeah. <laughs> but Frank West looks like Rob Riggle in the game. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, like, he had, like, basically wearing exactly mm-hmm. what he was wearing in the game. You know, an open-collar shirt, gold chain, you know, black jacket. Right. Um, and, yeah, anyway, go, go ahead and, and um, finish, finish what you're doing. <laughs> so Chase runs across this woman named Amy, who it turns out has her own personal stash of Zombrex, and she's been bitten, and but she's not the Zombrex is still working for her. So clearly it's not a resistant strain. Um, and so now they're trying to find out why the Zombrex is no longer working. And um, it it's, stays really true to the games. Yeah. Um, as far as, uh, I mean, setting and... Zombie mechanics. Yeah. And then you've also got Psychopaths mixed in, which was a big... Uh, component of the game not the f- well I guess part of the first one certain the certain psychopaths in the first game are kind of used as like story pivots yeah so to get to the next area you have to beat these group of psychopaths right. So they're, right they're kind of like the bosses yeah yeah um yeah um yeah and then it's kind of a I feel like it's kind of a twist ending when you find out why the Zombrex is no longer working. So I don't don't really want to give that away. And you don't find out exactly why this is called Watchtower until the very end. Right. Um, This takes place between the second and third games. Yes. Which is not what we thought. We we both thought it was after or between one and two. Right. And, you know... They introduced Zombrex in Dead Rising 2. Mm-hmm. So I guess we should have figured that out. 
Right. Um, I swear I heard, I remember hearing, that was me. Um, that the, I swear I remember hearing that it was between one and two. I, same, same here, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they with the inclusion of Zombex, and also they mentioned Fortune City at one point. Right. And there's also a zombie that appears to be dressed as Chuck Green. Yeah. Which is, the, you know, the protagonist from part two. He, he had, like, the, the um, black and yellow... Leather jacket. Bi- biker's jacket is what I was looking to say. Um... Yeah, and there's like a lot of little nods to the game itself. There's crafting in the movie. They craft weapons. Yeah, and um, the little Lego guy. Oh yeah, he has them on his shirt. And there's like a head in that in the hardware store or whatever they're in. Oh, the pawn shop. Yeah, yeah. There's like oh, I didn't see just like it. I didn't a big the head. big head just sitting on the counter. Oh. Um, Capcom got in a lot of shit for that. Ha- having that Lego head in the first game. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they were pissed. <laughs> By Lego or? By Lego. They, they did not like it. <laughs> um, and then you've got Pedro Serrano playing uh, General Lyons. Right. Who comes in and his plan is to just bomb the shit out of everything. Yeah, and you can't really figure out exactly what he's about. Like, sometimes he comes across as just a real prick. Yeah, he kind of, like, you don't really know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. Yeah. Because there's kind of two warring powers in this. There's General Lyons, Mm -hmm. but then there's also, uh, I I forget his name, but from FISA. (laughs) FISA, yeah. (laughs) Um, That's F-E-Z-A. Like FEMA for zombies. Right. Um and it's kind of a back and forth between like who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, and um, I guess you don't really ever know. And, well, I guess you kind of do. And closer to the end, you kind yeah. of figure out what's going on. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then there's just this one gang that kind of roams the the city, um, led by. Um, Logan, mm-hmm. who is just like straight out of Mad Max. That's exactly what I thought. Like Mad Max or the uh, the mutants from uh, Weird Science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and then he's got his his gang, including Harley Marenstein. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when he's got him tied up, like that's one of my favorite parts. He's just like, oh, you ruined it. <laughs> And he's just like jamming out to this music, <laughs> and uh, cooking chicken with a flamethrower. <laughs> was that what he was doing? I think so. I, I knew he was like shooting a flamethrower at something on like this trident fucking thing. Yeah, it looked like they were like some kind of bird, either chicken or pigeon or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? I don't know. Can't remember. What did, what did you think about the the whole weapons crafting aspect of it? I would have liked to see it be a little more involved. It's like they just kind of like kick out the back of a truck, or like you know, come out the front of a store, and they've just got these weapons that they made. They don't actually show the process of them making them. 
Well, I mean, they were all just shit duct taped together. Well, sure. But I don't know. I, I guess I would have liked to see it be a little more involved rather than just suddenly have these weapons. <laughs> a lot of them were completely impractical and, like, dangerous to, yeah. to them. <laughs> Much like the games, then? Sure, yeah. Mm. But, I mean, like, I, I forget who it was, but had um, a fucking katana. That was Amy. Okay, yeah. A katana strapped to the shovel. Like, it was like a almost like a baton, but it has... It had some kind of spiked thing around the yeah. handle. Yeah. So it's like you got a fucking blunt object on one end and a fucking razor sharp knife on the other, or razor sharp sword on the other. It's like yeah, she looked like she didn't cut her fucking leg off. No shit. Well, especially the way she was like. At one point, she's like just slamming a, a zombie in the head with the shovel, but you could like tell that Megan Ori, the you know the actor or actress, uh, was trying to avoid hitting herself with the sword. <laughs> So it's like it's like it's kind of half-hearted slams with the shovel. Um, anyway, yeah. So and then Chase had the fucking saw sledgehammer thing, right? It was like a um, like a tile saw or something. I think it was just a rotary saw. I think, but it was enormous. Was it that big? It was. Uh, so I didn't watch. I didn't watch the the movie up on Crackle more than ten or fifteen minutes. Right. Uh, I actually thought it was a TV show. My bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, did they have um, did they have a uh, propane tank with like nails and shit strapped to it? No, they did. That's not like do that. the go to thing in all of Dead Isle or uh, Wrong Game, yeah. uh, Dead Rising. I'm sure that movie's coming. Oh, I'm sure it is. Be terrible. <laughs> but uh, but I think I think that would have been like a cool nod to the game, especially because it's like one of the very First, uh, first crafting weapons that you can you you can make in the first game. Yeah, so it'd have been a cool nod. There was no like boxing glove butcher knives either. That was what I was going to hear. The Wolverine also. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there was a lot of use of just everyday items used as weapons, which was obviously yeah. Uh, Maggie by played by Virginia Madsen had a broom with with a knife on the end. Right. I was like, what are you going to do with a broom? <laughs> It basically just gave her, like, a staff that was sharp on one end. Mm-hmm. And then in case she needed to sweep up sure. afterwards. Because yeah. you don't want brains on the sidewalk. You know? Um. So what was your favorite part about this? Ooh, I, th- I thought the zombie gore was good. I thought there was, there was some decent zombie gore. Yeah. Although there was too much CGI, and there was too much... God damn blood on the camera. <laughs> that happened like once. No, it didn't. It happened a lot. I only remember it once. Oh, watch it again. It happened a lot. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> um. This was directed by Zach Lipovsky, who is, of course, the man responsible for the incomparable Leprechaun Origins. Mm-hmm. Incomparable for better or worse. <laughs> Origins, that's the one that WWE helped make? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> So bad. It's pretty bad. Like, I can't even put a word on how bad it was. This is not that bad. No. No, no, no. This was <laughs> and there is a very leaps nice, and bounds better than There's this. a very nice wonder in this movie. Wonder? Yeah. Like one long, continuous shot. Oh. Um, what? When, um, 
Chase comes out of the pawn shop and he like runs across the street. Oh yeah, into yeah, the yeah. bus, out out of the bus, over the car. Yeah, that was nice. That was well done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the the direction and the the cinematography is not bad, but it's not anything that stands out. Yeah, it's pretty standard. Yeah. <clears throat> Something um, I feel like pretty much anybody could have done. Um. Oh, I was saying Amy. That was the wrong character. That character's name is Crystal. Right there. Um. Yeah, I think. I think overall, my favorite part was Rob Riggle. Yeah, he was good. He was he, like, was, he was funny. I wanted m- more scenes with him, <laughs> and just see like the premise is he is. There's been a zombie outbreak in Oregon. East Mission, Oregon, which is right, which, fictional. <clears throat> yeah, and on that point, I could swear when they showed East Mission on a map, it was like on the eastern side of Oregon, if I remember right, which, as we all know, is pretty desolate. Um, there's not a lot out there, except yeah. for fucking trees and mountains. Um but yeah, when they fly over the city, it's, it's a metropolis. It's got like and three it's sports seaside. stadiums. Is it seaside? I'm pretty that. sure, yeah. I'm pretty sure there is, it, there's a coastline to it. Yeah, and there's like Unless three sports stadiums all right within each other. Yeah. It's like, where the fuck is this even filmed? Right. So, Seattle. <laughs> well, it was more like Vancouver. Like, it had a very Canadian look to it. Just like very, um, like not old like not like old like turn of the 20th century construction like newer than that filmed in Vancouver and Burnaby British Columbia I don't know where that is you know where Vancouver is I know Vancouver not Burnaby probably near Vancouver um anyway um there's a lot of Canadians in this too this is clearly a Canadian production yeah anyway but yeah uh, oh yeah and the Saskas are in it yes yes they are like Immediately, yeah. But you, if you don't know they're there, like if you're not looking for them, you, it would go right over your head. I don't know. At one point, at least one of them is like right front and center, and they ham it up. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they are into their zombie <laughs> acting. Um. Anyway, also, getting. Pres Hilton made a made a cameo. Yeah, he was um, when they were at the the tent. He was one of the people waiting in line for Zombrex. Huh. I recognized him by his bright purple hair. They should have just let him be on the zombie. <laughs> um, anyway, keep getting off my point here. Uh, had a point? Huh? You had a point? Yeah, I did until you started fucking talking over me, asshole. All right, we'll finish your point then. I'm trying to. Can I finish? Would you? Can I finish? <laughs> um, <laughs> Rob Riggle, back to that, which I was trying to say through the first place. Um, as Frank West, he's being interviewed on a, on a news show um, as the survivor of the Willamette, Willamette um, Colorado, right? Right. Uh, and that out. kept confusing me because in Oregon, there's a Willamette County that's spelled the exact same way as Willamette, which is a fictional town right. in Colorado. So I kept thinking they were saying Willamette wrong. <laughs> Uh, actually, I probably would have said that wrong as well. Oh. Cards on the table. <laughs> well, now you know. Port- oh, yeah. Portland is in Willamette County. Oh, all right. Just remember it rhymes with damn it. All right, I'll keep that in mind. He uh, is on this news 
uh, new show and <laughs> just the degrading relationship between him and the anchor. Like, it starts out very professional. I mean, he's a total jackass right from the start. Mm-hmm. But she's very professional and, like, just trying to ask him these common questions about how to survive in a zombie outbreak. And he's just being a total smartass and kind of an asshole for, right from the get-go. And over time, as things become more stressful, you know, things in East Mission start to become pretty dire. And um, they start talking about firebombing the entire city. Things start to degrade between her and Frank West. Um, and it's just fucking hilarious because she gets to a point where she, like, you could visibly tell or visually tell that um, she just can't stand to be around him anymore. And that, I think that element of it was probably my favorite part of the whole movie. Yeah. Um, anyway, that that's what I was trying to say for like 10 minutes. Okay. And your gripes? Um, the CGI that was probably the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, zombies using tools. Yeah, that bugged me. Yeah, you like you had the clown that was using an axe. Yeah, and a cop that was going to shoot a gun. Yeah, but he wasn't like he was just kind of like waving it around frantically. He didn't actually aim it at any point, but. So but at a, the same time, he was using. I got a question on that. In the game, that is something that's prevalent. Zombies do use. Um, is it the tools and everything? And I know that in Land of the Dead, the big the big black zombie starts learning how to use the gun. Big Daddy. Big Daddy. And you guys were against that, correct? Yes. Okay. He so, also learned how to use the jackhammer. Right. So in the game, in, in the Dead Rising game, um, there are ones that use like brooms and you know throws shit at you. And in the second game, there's ones that learn how to shoot. So that's would, would you rather have that be be part of the game and the movie, or just not part of zombie lore at all? Well, zombies can't learn. Well, yeah, that's that's my biggest gripe. But I mean, at the same time, if it's like a cop who already knew how, I suppose maybe muscle memory, right? But I don't know. I think that it's it's, it's beyond the uh... see that kind of activity. Like I'm, I'm of the school of thought that zombies operate same same way that they present them in The Walking Dead. When they're reanimated, the only thing that reactivates in their brain is like the base of like the brain stem that just contains the most primal of um, functions, like stand, walk, eat. That's it. Yeah, and you know maybe defense to a certain degree. Like, swinging an axe or even drawing a gun out, like, knowing how to draw a gun out of a holster, that's all, like, upper brain, frontal lobe type shit. Yeah. And, like, if that's not working, then you can't access that function. <laughs> I agree. Um, and that's that's always been my frame of mind as far as zombies go. And I, I haven't played um, Dead Rising in a long time, so I, I actually didn't remember zombies doing that like using tools and stuff in the game. Um, so but, the bigger sin is that is that it happened, period, rather than just just yes. it being there. I would say yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, my know. biggest gripe is the CGI and the blood on the camera, which I, happened a lot, I, I promise you. Um and every time I was like, Lepofsky! <laughs> uh, yeah, 
I, but like like you said earlier, this is not as bad. I thought as, the ending was kind of well. It it was most the most blatant opening for a sequel that I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it was not as blatant as Muck, but well, no. Uh, it does. Like I said, you know, the the, the whole subtitle of Watchtower is explained like right at the end of the movie and it also yeah, in like the last minute practically yeah and it explains why it had that subtitle at all because clearly they're planning to do more of these um seemingly yeah yeah rather you know rather than just call it dead rising they got to differentiate it right off the bat from any coming sequels um but anyway um so any other thoughts I mean, for being free, I really don't have a lot to complain about. Sure, yeah. I, I definitely think this is worth a free watch, um, but I probably wouldn't tell people to go pay for it. Oh, no. I would, yeah, I would never pay for this. <laughs> I mean, it's not that it was terrible. It just not, wasn't good enough for me to invest my money into. Right. I would say it's worth your time, but not worth your money. Yeah. Yeah. Are you looking forward to a sequel? Not particularly. I'll watch it if it's, if it's free. free. Yeah, if it's free, if it's free, I'll watch it. <laughs> did it want you? Did it make you want to play the next Dead Rising game? No. Then it failed. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So numbers or? Um. I think I'm just gonna, I'm just going to go down the middle and give it a five. Okay. Um. God, I don't know. I want to say six, but I don't know if I want to rate it that high. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, I really didn't have any fundamental problems with it. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't anything special. It wasn't a bad movie. It just wasn't that great. Right, yeah. That was why I went right to the middle. I, yeah, I guess. I mean... Yeah, I guess five. All right. <laughs> I'll give it a watch as I play Mortal Kombat next week with oh. Jason. At the same time? Yeah, I've got multiple screens. How are you going to concentrate on the movie when you're playing that? I'm not going to concentrate on the movie. You stupid. <laughs> Duh. He's playing Mortal Kombat. I want to buy that so bad, but I'm worried that my wife will give me a dirty look. My wife. My wife is nice. <laughs> It's like an every episode thing now. <laughs> I can no longer listen to anything and hear anyone say the words "my wife" without immediately. Because <laughs> bro at bro. <laughs> All right. Um, so I guess we'll move on then to let's, let's move on our other movie, <clears throat> another Canadian film. Um, it's actually a, at least a year old. It came out in Canada last year. Right. Um, but it just came out in America. Right. Us uh, hosers. No, they're the hosers. I thought we were the hosers. No. It's not their connection. We're hosers. I think hosers is just like calling somebody like a jackass. Oh. I don't well, think, I don't think it's be. a specifically American I don't thing. know. I don't understand Canadian slang. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand Canadians. Um, anyway... <laughs> Point is, the movie is Wolf Cop. 
He was a big wolf cop. Lou, you're a wolf cop. Yeah, I'm the wolf cop. Yeah, I'm the wolf cop. Hello, Carl. So this was also a free watch because this is currently on Netflix. Yeah, I mean, if you if you have a membership, if you have a membership, yeah. Which and for me it was s- shockingly, some people don't have a membership to Netflix. It's, <laughs> it's mind blowing. Um, it was funny because I, I, I told my girlfriend she was like, "Oh, I'm going to yoga or whatever," and I was like, "Okay, good. I'm going to watch Wolf Cop." She's like, "Wolf Cop? <laughs> like, What's that about?" And I was like, "Exactly what you think." <laughs> Like I'll give you two guesses, um, but for you, those of you at home, it is about a wolf cop. Uh, um, what's his name? Lou Guru. Get it? Do you? Do you get it? Is there something to get? Lou Guru is the French word for werewolf. Ah, I don't speak French. Well, now you know. I guess. Um, if nothing else, you've learned something today. I'll probably forget. <laughs> um, so he's a cop in a just a really small. It never really distinctly implies that it is Canada. I don't think. I don't think so. It could be somewhere like the Midwest. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, I want to jump back to Dead, Dead Rising real quick. Oh. Uh-oh. Uh. It took place in Oregon, but all the cars had BC plates on them. Did they? Like, all of them. Except the only car that didn't was the Army car. It had, like, U.S. government plates, which was surprising. That's an oversight. Yeah. It's like every single one (laughs) had BC plates. Anyway, okay, so Lou Guru, he's a cop in a really small town that's, like, it's the middle of winter, and so it's one of those towns where it's just coated in snow. Yeah, it's called Woodhaven, which sounded really familiar. Which I mean, there's like 30 Woodhavens in America. It's just one of those, you know, like Salem's that where there's one in every state practically. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It just it sounded really familiar to me, but I couldn't figure out from where. I'm not sure. It doesn't ring any bells for me. Hmm. Um. So Lou, he is uh, a cop. He's not a very good one. No. And he's an alcoholic. Yes. Like, to the nth degree. Right. Um, 
We're talking like booze for breakfast. Yeah. Good man. It made me sick to watch him drink so much. Yeah. Like, because I, you know, he wakes up with a hangover. Like, you, he does it really well. He presents it really well. You can, like, almost feel his headache and, like, how sick he feels. So he's not a pro. I guess not. <laughs> it appears that his liver's still working to some degree. Um, See, a pro would wake up still drunk <laughs> and then keep drinking. Right. Um, but he does wake up hungover, and he's already late for work. <laughs> uh, so he just takes down a pint of whiskey on his way to work. And that... Because I, I, watching him be hungover brings back all those sensations of being hung over myself and then watching him drink while he's hung over it made me want to throw up <laughs> it's like that was something that I could do when I was at like like 22 23 at almost 30 years old I can't do that anymore awesome I'll do it for you <laughs> okay this is your future Max <laughs> um Anyway, so yeah, he. The town is in the middle of a mayoral race, um, and one morning, the cops discover the, the um, not the incumbent, the other the, one. Yeah, the other <laughs> one, the not mayor, um, has been killed in the woods. Uh, see. Did, was it set up to make make it look like a suicide? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, he had a shotgun in his hand, and they set it up to look like it was a suicide. Um, and also had his throat slashed. Um, and one of the other cops even asked, like, what about the, the throat <clears throat> wounds? And they were like, oh, some animal probably just came along afterwards. Right. Um, but the previous night, Lou starts to remember that he was actually kidnapped um, by some kind of satanic cult or that's how it appears um and and then he notices the giant pentagram carved into his stomach right and it's what called it called it to his attention was the blood on his wife beater not not what i'm sure was excruciating pain um and and considering how this, full of liquor he was, he's lucky he didn't bleed to death. No shit. Especially being hung upside... No, I guess it wasn't hung upside down. You guys brought up that he is a drunk. Did they make a hair of the dog joke during the movie? Surprisingly, no. Well, then the director fails. Yeah, missed opportunity. <laughs> missed Seriously. opportunity. Um, yeah, he, so he's kidnapped and they do some kind of ritual on him that turns him into a werewolf. Um, granted, this is something that he doesn't really discover on his own um, his, his not even really his buddy just kind of like the the town hillbilly hillbilly yeah uh, God, what was his name Willie Willie thank you um, which at first I thought it was the guy that played Doofy <laughs> my ass <laughs> it's not have you seen that fifth movie no it's awful I, I believe it oh my god <laughs> I don't I, I think I saw one and two. I don't think I've seen any since then. The third one was only good because it had George Carlin in it. But Oh, really? Yeah, like four minutes. I didn't realize he was still alive then. 2006-ish. Yeah, all right. Yeah, so... Um, Willie. Willie, thank you. 
kind of just looked at it too. <laughs> um, Willie basically captures him, and he seems like he's kind of in the know about everything. He like knows about werewolves. Yeah, to kind of like to the town expert. Yeah, on paranormal. Um, and he was wearing a fucking cancer bats T-shirt. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> Which was weird because there's no cancer bats music anywhere in the movie. And at one point, he, uh, Lou even when um, Willie asked him about something that happened in his backyard or something, and he, he was like, oh, it's probably just, have you heard of heavy metal? He's like, oh, like lead and mercury? That's what Canadians find funny. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he basically, see, Willie, like, records him Changing back into, or changing back from being a werewolf, is that right? I think so. I know he recorded him like while he was a wolf because he shot him with a tranquilizer. Mm-hmm. So then he got um, footage of him as as the wolf, right? Um, and so he basically tries to educate Lou on, you know, whatever he can, right? And then they kind of... And he gives him wolfsbane and his eggs. Right. Um, just to test. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> so... And then, like, when he becomes the wolf, it's it's really weird because he... Like, he, it, it's, it's almost like Teen Wolf where he's, like, all of a sudden he's cool. And, like, he rips the door off his car, and then he just goes to the body shop and just, like, tricks out his car. <laughs> did you notice the name of the body shop? Uh, I did. I don't remember what it was now. Styles. Oh, maybe I didn't then. It was called Styles Body Shop. Oh. All right. <laughs> um, like in Teen Wolf. Hey. Get it? Yep. Because um, I explained it to you. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> But but then, like, there's just this random part in the middle where they go and shoot a meth lab. They just go, like, blow it up. And there's really, like, no explanation why they do that. So, there's there's a bunch of backstory here, I guess. <laughs> it's like, if I start explaining it, there's just too much, and I don't want to include all of it. Um, there's a... There's there's a kind of a town celebration. It's called the with the the beer and shoot or the shoot and beer or something. Uh, drink and shoot. Drink and shoot. Um, that Lou has noticed gets canceled every twenty three years. No, every certain number of years. I don't remember exactly what it was. And so he tries starts drawing connections. Um, meanwhile, that he is dealing with this drug lord and his gang basically mm-hmm. um, the piggies right um, and that's like that's the meth lab that they attack um, and I think they do that after Lou breaks up a liquor store robbery yeah, yeah. I think that's what prompts them yeah to, you're right yeah um, by the same gang Uh 
I don't know. Like, there's you get the impression that this. See, Willie explains to him that we'll. No fuck. Okay, I'm never watching a movie of like a fucking week in advance anymore. <laughs> um, Lou discovers in a in an occult book that what happened to him was a group of shapeshifters turned him into a wolf because they feed off of wolf's blood, mm-hmm. and it helps them stay alive or you know keep their powers or something to that effect. Right. Um, and he starts to draw connections. That is why the um, drink and shoot gets canceled every however many years. Well, because it's during an eclipse. Right. Um, And they kind of use the facade of the... No, actually, that's kind of a spoiler. I won't say that part. Okay. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, Lou is basically just trying to find out who who exactly did this to him because he doesn't know for sure. Uh, it's implied pretty early on that this drug, like the, 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 the drug, like the boss of this gang is one of these shapeshifters. Like, it, it really kind of gives you that much pretty early on. Yeah. Um, so that was why he went after the meth lab was because he was trying to find the... The shapeshifter guy? I think he was just breaking up a meth lab because he's a <laughs> cop. <laughs> it seemed like they were just trying to fill time or something. Maybe. I don't know. I felt like there was a lot of that in this movie, though. Which is funny, because the movie's only 79 minutes long. Right. Um, yeah, there wasn't much story to this, truth be told. I mean, there's, there's really not. There's a lot of elements to it, but it doesn't really create a lot of... Cohes- cohesion? Not necessarily that. It's just it didn't provide a, lo- a lengthy story. Like they're they're parts, but they're not big parts. Just, yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's like you, and the the third act, for lack of a better word, it seems dislocated the, from the rest of the movie. It almost seems like it's a different movie. Mm-hmm. It just has a different feel, and I don't know. It's almost sci-fi ish. Yeah. Um, one thing that I th- thought was kind of stupid is they implied that uh, because he's an alcoholic, that's like the alcohol sh- gives him more power. Yeah, it makes him sh- a more powerful werewolf. Yeah, the shapeshifter is like, said, "Why is he so powerful?" He's like, "I don't, I don't know why he's so strong." It's like maybe it has something to do with the booze. It's like, come on. <laughs> that's the one thing is Lugaru is not like this hero you want to root for. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, he's a real turd. I mean, like, he's he's a fucking useless drunk. Uh, he's bad at his job. He's an asshole to everyone. Um, and so, yeah, he's kind of a, an anti-hero. He's not, I don't even know if he's an anti-hero. Okay. <laughs> he's just a piece of shit, and you don't want to root for him. <laughs> he's like a... I don't know. So not only did they not do a hair of the dog joke... But you mentioned that the gang was called the Piggies. Did they do a huff and puff and blow you away joke? I think it was just implied. God damn it. <laughs> I could have wrote a better movie. <laughs> um, so this movie is revered by a lot of people. Yeah. And I got to say, I don't get it. Yeah, I really wanted to like this because I 
And then, not, See, I don't. I had the feeling you were going to come in and you were going to be like, "This is amazing. It's a modern classic." <laughs> no, I, I thought you were going to be one of those people, and I was just going to be like, "I don't know what's happening." Like I want to clarify, it's not that I didn't like it. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as saying I didn't like it. I just don't. Like there are actually people who call this like a modern classic. People who say that it's like the funniest movie of the year. Mm. I, I don't get a lot of comedy out of it. Nah, there are moments. There are jokes that kind of they don't really hit. Like, they're not funny. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I don't. I don't get it. Uh, one thing I did like was. Well, for the most part, it was the, the makeup. The makeup was good. The The change is good, although the, the fake face looks really fake. There's only so much you can do. It's true. Um, but, I mean, they could have, I don't know, done less with the face, had it already farther open or something. But, I mean, it, it was a good transformation. When his dick explodes, that's something. <laughs> that, that, that's a thing that's that happened. That's a thing that happened, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's... They're, they're taking a piss because he's start Like, this is like his... What second transformation? I guess. Yeah. Um. And he's yeah. He's in the bathroom, feeling sick, and so he tr- he goes to take a piss, and he starts pissing blood, and then his dick explodes in his hand with this just big fucking hairy cock. Well, at first he starts pissing blood, and then all of a sudden blood starts spurting out the sides. Right. Uh, <laughs> like someone just took a pin to all over the head of his yeah. dick, and the, and then yeah, this giant wolf cock just. <laughs> explodes through his penis. Yeah, qu- quite literally explodes. Like, yeah. splits his dick in half. And just... Um, but the transformation, it's it, it's a type that I've really come to appreciate. I've seen it in a handful the, like, of like, peeling off? Yeah. Where it's like like the human element is a, is a costume. Yeah. And they just pull that off. Yeah. yeah. Like in Trick or Treat. Yeah. And uh, they did that, what else? Um, in... They do that in late phases. I don't know if you've watched that yet. I have not watched it yet. Uh, they do it in that. Uh, and also... Oh, my God. The show on Netflix, the Eli Roth one. Hemlock Grove. Thank you. That's that's the method in that, too. And when I first saw it, like the first time I'd ever seen that kind of transformation, I thought it was kind of lame. But I've really come to appreciate it because it's super gross, but it's also really effective. Yeah. <laughs> um, this movie also has wolf sex. Now I gotta watch it. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. I thought you meant two. Not two wolves. Right. A wolf and a human. Right. Um, I doubly gotta watch it. This is awesome. <laughs> and uh, some other podcast I was listening to, oh, it was Who Goes There, was speculating that, they, that those are stunt tits. Uh, so? <laughs> <laughs> so what? <laughs> Can you tell me precisely what time this happened? <laughs> no, I cannot, Mr. Skin. Well, because he's banging this bartender, and she's she's quite a good-looking gal. And um, she appears to just have these massive tits. And um, yeah, then she finally takes her top off when they're when they're banging. And who cares if they're stuck tits? <laughs> Don't ruin this for me. <laughs> Um. Anyway, uh, it's probably not like a shame thing because you're having sex with a wolf. Wait, what? You just said that like, like like she didn't want to have have her tits in a movie, but then you're in a movie where you're having sex with a wolf. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. 
There's a line. <laughs> um, and the shapeshifters look like slee stacks. Oh, God. Like I know. Lost. Thank you. Okay. It's like, I know that name. <laughs> and yes, they do. Um, and maybe that crossed with the uh, the visitors from V. Mm, yeah. Um, so, which I think is part of what why I I think the end gave, gave, had more of a sci fi feel is because you had these like alien looking. Yeah, and that's the thing. These shapeshifters, their natural form is like, I mean, obviously during the the, the film they take human form, but right? Their natural form is just like these giant lizard things, and I wasn't a fan of that. Yeah, me neither. Anyway, so. Um, the movie overall wasn't awful, like we mentioned before. Uh, I mean, there it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, um, it had some redeeming qualities about it, like I mentioned the ma- the makeup. Um, the makeup's good. I would have liked to have seen more werewolf attacks. Yeah, so, like when he was a wolf, he mostly like used his gun. He was mm-hmm. still acting as a cop. I would like to have seen you know him like slash some people and like rip some people in half and shit I would have liked to see a werewolf fight like maybe there was another werewolf mm, that yeah. he could fight against that's always fun or if like the shapeshifters had sh- shift shape shifted into a wolf sure yeah, yeah that would have worked <sighs> missed opportunities yeah a lot of them um but they're working on a sequel or like planning for one yeah the end of this movie like some movies allude to a sequel some set up a sequel this one announces a sequel right Right before the credits roll it says wolf cop 2 coming 2015 um like thanks killing in space you shut your mouth that movie didn't exist (laughs) shut up (laughs) um Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, it had redeeming qualities, but like you said, there's not enough action to the point of the film. He's a werewolf, but you don't really see enough of that. Yeah, it's not like a pivotal point to the story. It's not something that drives the story. It easily could have been just a guy doing all these things. He could have just been some fucking loose cannon cop or something. Um. Anyway, so I, do you have anything else to say about about it? Um, for a movie that's only seventy nine minutes long, it feels long. Did you think so? I did I, think so. I thought it felt really short. I think, it, but I think that's mainly because it seemed like not a lot happened. Yeah, like the story filled out maybe ten minutes, and the rest of it was like fluff. Yeah, like we said, there's there's <clears> points <throat> where it feels like there's just they're just trying to kill time. Yeah. Um. So I guess that's why it seemed really short to me because I'm just waiting for the next thing to happen. But right. Nothing ever really happens. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Um. I feel like I I didn't hate it, but I don't think I liked it as much as Dead Rising. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to give it a four. All right. Um. You know, this movie, I think I'll say this movie is definitely just, like, middle of the pack. Uh-huh. I get it. Uh-huh. Nailed it. Um, but, I mean, there's nothing super bad about it. 
but there's nothing really all that great about it either. Um, I mean, like I mentioned, the makeup's pretty good. Uh, the gore, the, I mean, the limited amount of gore that there actually is, surprisingly, um, was done pretty well. Um, but aside from that, there wasn't really much to it. It didn't have a lot of substance. Um, but that that's weighed against the fact that I didn't hate it. I mean, I wasn't itching to turn it off or anything. Right. Um, so I think just because it's, it's, it's an okay movie, I don't really have any strong feelings about it one way or the other. I think I'll probably just say five. Okay. Um, so when we close out here, we're going to do something new. We'll see if this works. If it works, we'll keep it. If oh, not, I forgot we'll about just, this. We'll just, uh, we'll just scrap it. Yeah. Tell us if you guys think this is dumb. Um, <laughs> So we're, this is something we're calling plot holes, where we take the plot of a movie and we take out a bunch of keywords and then replace them Mad Lib style. So, Tony, what I need from you is a verb ending in ing. Fucking. Of course. That's my favorite too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and I need an adjective. Um, stupid. <laughs> and I need a woman's name. Uh, Stacy. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something funnier, but Stacy's mom has got it going on. Adjective. Uh. You can chime in too, Max, if you... Yeah, tell me out here. This is easier when I'm, like, reading it on a screen. (laughs) No adjectives? I hate English, so... It's a describing word. Furry. Thank you. (laughs) And another adjective. Uh... Chafed. Plural noun. Uh, double-ended dildos. The fact that they're double-ended is important. Yep. <laughs> Verb. Um, uh, Action word. Yeah, I know what a verb is. Yeah, but this one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Moving. Move. Move. Whatever. Shut <laughs> Adjective. God, fucking adjectives. Um, dumb. Another Shut adge- up. <laughs> <laughs> Another adjective. Uh, Cocky. <laughs> uh, verb. Um, Run. Okay. Verb ending in ing. Shitting. <laughs> Plural noun. Tacos. Um. Verb ending in ing. 
Um, Wiping. <laughs> Adjective. Mm. Smelly. And one more adjective. Uh, orange. All right. So let's hear what Tony and Max have done to the plot of It Follows. <laughs> oh. This is disappointing. Really? In Well, in the wake of fucking with a stupid stranger... That's, that's actually what God happened. God damn it. <laughs> Stacy quickly learns that she has inherited a most furry curse. Wherever she goes, chafed, half-naked, double-ended dildos follow. <laughs> and their singular goal is to see her move. Desperate, Stacy turns to her dumb sister and cocky circle of friends for help. In time, however, Stacy learns that her only hope for escaping, escaping death is to run with someone else and pass the curse on. Oh, wait a minute. What was, what was... What did you say after shitting? Do you remember? No. Wiping. <laughs> No, it was a noun. Oh. Smelly? No. Tacos. Oh, yeah. Mm. But the shitting tacos are invisible to Stacy's friends, and it soon becomes apparent that her time is running out. Now, with death wiping, the smelly young woman <laughs> will be forced to make a difficult decision if she hopes to or- survive her orange ordeal. I wish I would have picked something other than orange. <laughs> An orange deal? Shut up. <laughs> All right, so that's plot holes. Let us know if you like it. We might get better at it. Hopefully. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's going to do it for us today. Um, I felt like I was really dragging today. Yeah, you you sucked. Thanks. I'll try harder next time. <laughs> um, so we'll be back here in a couple weeks. Um, what are we reviewing? Um... Oh, uh, Roadside and, and Clown. Clown. Eli Roth's Clown. Right. Uh, Eric England, who, former guests, his, not even his new movie, just <laughs> finally released movie. Right. Um, so, uh, tune in in a couple weeks and check that out with us. Check out greatplotpodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Google Plus, greatplotpodcast, Twitter, grave underscore plot. Right. Max, plug your stuff. You can follow me uh, for all things wrestling and sometimes video games at Russell Subtitle on Twitter and check out the wrestlinggame.com for all your wrestling game needs. Thank you. All right, so for the Grave Pot Podcast, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. And this has been the Grave Pot Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I really talked myself in our corner there. Um, where we're all just a little dead inside.